and welcome to episode 188 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, joined by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? Sorry about that. I was getting my uh, my uh, extra um, flannel on. If you know, if you've seen the last episode of WandaVision, which I'm assuming you all have, the uh, I have the same flannel from Old Navy as one of the extras from the uh, previous episode when Monica runs into him and he falls down. You don't ever see his face. Mm. But he's wearing like this black and like red like flannel thing from Old Navy. That's right. Same flannel. <laughs> it's a great flannel. I, ha- I have to say, good good choice wardrobe. Good choice. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that you are cosplaying in the medium of audio podcasting. It's it's really uh, good. Hey, you gotta, you gotta get it in the spirit, you know. And you by do. the way, I am doing very very well. Also, because my wife is a fan of Wandavision, which is oh, a big that's deal. That's good to hear. That's a big deal. She did not like Darcy. She did not like, which I knew that was coming. I was well, like, she yeah. can't be right about everything because Darcy's well. awesome. Before we get started in talking about this latest episode of WandaVision, a quick reminder to make sure you're following us in all the places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have the time, we really would appreciate it. It helps the show. It makes a difference. Uh, helps more people find the show if you give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Some of you have been doing that recently. You wrote some very nice things. Thank you so much for taking the time yes. to do that. We really do appreciate it. Not just because it helps the show on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot when we do this stuff mm-hmm. and, and people say that they like it. So this will be our spoiler review. We continue our series of spoiler reviews for WandaVision, of course, And for this one, we're going to be crossing our fingers, singing a song, and making it up as we go along. We are talking about episode five on a very special episode, dot, 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 written by Peter Cameron and Mackenzie Dore. And I just have to start with, before we even get into the content of the episode, how much I enjoy this title because it is reflective of the content of the episode, the style of the episode, and also the era. I talked about this. I don't remember if I talked about it here on MCU Fan Show or on Slash Film Daily or both uh, that I was on last week. And I was also on Slash Film Daily again as a guest uh, this week. And one of the things that I kind of anticipated as we were progressing through these sitcoms is now that real life is starting to intersect. It's fairly timely that that happened as we start approaching 80s sitcoms and we continue to get even more modern is because this is where sitcoms used to pat themselves on the back by dealing with real world issues once a season on a very special episode that was going to be about a sensitive topic, be it family drama like mom and dad fighting, maybe even mom and dad separating, could be about a death in the family, the death of a pet. Could be about drugs or alcohol. We didn't have to deal with that in WandaVision episode five, but they were usually billed as on a very special episode. And then this is where we get the sincere, earnest one that maybe isn't as funny as the sitcom might normally be. And there's not as much humor in this episode of WandaVision. So I appreciated that title. We opened the show back in Westview in the sitcom reality Except one thing that we're noticing right away is we are no longer in the television four by three aspect ratio. We're not going back and forth. We are in 16 by nine, whether we are inside Westview or outside of it, even though 1980s sitcoms were, of course, broadcast in four by three aspect ratio. I don't really take this to mean anything other than 
we've lifted the curtain. Everybody knows what this is. We don't need to keep up the artifice of like, this is a television show. We know how S.W.O.R.D. is experiencing it like a television, uh, like a television show, but that's not really how we're experiencing it anymore. We know very, I mean, we knew from the jump, but we know very much now. It's very clear to us that this is not a sitcom. Real things are happening in this reality, even if it is itself a facade. So I think that's what the aspect ratio is, the change is representing. And maybe, yeah, it makes it a little easier on the eyes for the audience going back and forth since we're intercutting between inside Westview and outside Westview that we're not having the shift. But I also just think it's representing that what's happening inside Westview is real, even if not every single thing in Westview is quite what it seems. But as we open in the 1980s and we're very family ties in a lot of the style, that seemed to be the the one that was leading the influence on this episode, although there are others. Uh, we have babies crying and the usual jokes about babies crying and parents being tired. And then Wanda sends Vision to get Binkies and she watches to make sure he's out of the room before she decides to take a shortcut or at least attempt to. She tries to use her powers to make the baby stop crying and it doesn't work. And she even asks, why won't you do what I want? And here we have something where Wanda is uh, once again realizing the limits of her control. She's in control of a lot of things, Paul, but she could not affect the stork that was bringing these children. And now here she is with these babies who won't stop crying. And even with her abilities to manipulate reality, she can't change the fact that these babies are crying. Yeah, this was something that we're seeing. How much control is Wanda? We don't know. And I and I don't want to get too far ahead, but it's starting to implicate that she there's something else going on besides just Wanda. But we don't know the extent of it. And I know we're going to get a little bit more, too, when Agnes comes in. But we're getting those hints. And now what I love about it is is that it's not just full on. Let's explain, over explain or try to, you know, really heavy handedly give us this different dynamic of uh, Wanda and how it's affecting everything around her. It's just again, it's subtly. And and one thing the series has done so well, you know, is by doing that, by giving us these subtle little things. And I love how. It, it's implicating that there's she can't do everything. Yeah, she can she can change reality, and they establish that in this episode finally, of like how powerful she really is. But we're also seeing there's limitations here, exactly, even her own limitations, but also the limitations that something else is around her, and there's there's something more here. Like it's almost like because Wanda herself is like, huh, like this isn't working, mm-hmm. and she's su- really surprised, genuinely. And again. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, okay, that's your first hint of, okay, this is not exactly what we're that she thinks and what we think as an audience. Even after the last episode, when you have Monica Rambo, probably eventually going to be called Photon, uh, mm-hmm. say, you know, it's all Wanda, and it's mainly Wanda, but this is your first sign with the stork as being again. The brilliance of the show is the stork is is built in, in into the show as oh comic relief and for us, but also now establishing that she does not control everything necessarily. And then you have it, you know, right after this or right in the beginning of this episode, right after the last one, you basically have her not being able to control 
everything, which we, is a theme throughout, obviously, this whole episode, which, again, brilliant, 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 brilliant. I, I really love the fact that right off the bat, you're like, it's like, again, played for laughs, but it's also this deep hidden thing like she actually can't control everything. So super, super cool. Yeah, I really like that touch for this episode and even just the style of the humor. Yeah, I'm going to get my one criticism of this episode out of the way, but it's not even a fair criticism because I don't know how they would have done it. As somebody Mm. who grew up on 80s and 90s sitcoms, of course, I watched the classic sitcoms of the decades prior to my arrival on this earth. But growing (laughs) up in the 80s and 90s, those sitcoms being right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Certainly this episode did not live it up with 80s sitcom tropes. Not all of them. It shows a very specific subset, as I talked about at the opening of the show, but didn't get to quite have as much fun in a 1980s sitcom as maybe it otherwise would have been. But I also don't know how you solve for that, because now that you have introduced and you continue to to introduce and define the very real stakes emotionally and even physically for danger for these people. I don't know how you can ask an audience, just forget about that and laugh at being in an 80s sitcom for a second. I don't really think you can. It wasn't as much fun, but at the same time, it shouldn't have been. So it's a criticism, but not really, because I totally get why they made the choice that they made, because I think tonally you have to go another route. And they made a very smart choice in looking at this is kind of what sitcoms started to do a lot mm. more often in the 80s. So they just leaned into that, that they have the serious one, the earnest one uh, that's more somber. And they really leaned into that. So we have little bits here, a little bit of corny parenting humor and stuff like that and little kids and stuff and all, and all that. But they didn't really, they didn't go for the jokes quite as much as yeah. they had in previous ones. And th- there was no way to really do that in this episode. But wouldn't you know it, right? As Wanda says, they just need a little bit of help. Help arrives as Agnes rings the doorbell and just comes walking through. And that's a sitcom thing. Everybody's got neighbors that just walk in. Uh, So, uh, but of course, Vision actually has to hide behind a pillow uh, so he can uh, conceal his face. And it's right after Wanda said, maybe we just need some help. Vision wants to know uh, how Agnes knew that the kids were having trouble sleeping. And she just says it's because of her ears. And hey, that makes sense. Uh, So Auntie Agnes is here with a couple tricks up her sleeve But Vision does the typical overprotective parenting thing, new parent thing of, I love all this stuff, like, did you wash your hands? Was it like all this stuff, like just trying to ultimately intervene and prevent Agnes from touching the babies, which in some ways doesn't seem all that atypical. But where things get a little weird is Agnes stops the show and acknowledges that they are characters in a show because she stops everything. And she says, you know, should we just take it from the top? And actually asks slash tells Wanda, you want me to hold the babies. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's almost phrasing it as a question, as if Agnes is, she knows she's a performer in this, but is almost talking to Wanda like Wanda's the director of Mm -hmm. this sitcom. Um, But Agnes is a willing performer in this facade of a sitcom. And she's establishing that here, which... We saw in previews that Agnes was going to do this, but what's really interesting to me is Wanda's reaction because initially she is every bit as confused about this as Vision. Every bit as confused. But then 
Wanda just lets it go and Vision is stuck on what happened. Wanda's acting like it's no big deal to the point where Vision even asks her, Wanda, did you really not see what I saw? And Wanda just doesn't care. Agnes is helping out, so that's all that really matters to Wanda. Um, and Agnes, meanwhile, is spraying lavender over the babies in like this circular witchcraft ritual motion, sort of. Um, and then she goes looking for dark liquor. Not for, uh, not for herself, of course, for the babies. What kind of babysitter do you think Agnes is? Uh, and then all of a sudden, the babies are quiet because they're gone. And it turns out they're toddlers. And Agnes, we cut back to Agnes, who is now drinking that dark liquor. Turns out it was for her. Um, kids, she says, kids, you can't control them no matter how hard you try. Mm. So did Agnes make the babies grow up? I, I think that's one of the questions on this show, because or this episode, is we see the kids age up twice. We see them age up, uh, or at least the big leaps that we see is this one from babies to toddlers. And then later on the episode, and we'll talk about it more when we get to it, they go from age five to age 10. From age five to age 10, it looks like the kids are doing that on their own, or maybe Billy is carrying the weight there as Wiccan, uh, who has hex and witchy powers that could cover that. It looks like the kids do it on their own, or Billy does it later in the episode. But I'm wondering, can babies just consciously decide to grow up because they really want to? I mean, maybe, because if this is, a how, if this is all about how they respond to their feelings, well, these babies weren't feeling so hot, and that's why they kept crying. And so the way they sued, if you're talking about teaching a baby to self-soothe, then the way they sued themselves was to grow up. I don't know how they knew that was the option, uh, but whatever. I don't know. I, I know the easy assumption is Agnes did this, but I think there's also a question there because even she's saying, kids, you can't control them no matter how hard you try. And she's almost a little sad about that, which may come mm -hmm. up later in the episode. Agnes's stuff in here, I thought was really telling. And I love that we're starting to see a little bit more, I think, of what her motivation is. We already know what her motivation is. If you know the character and you kind of know the backstory a little bit. But I feel that they're doing it in a way where it's 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 both obvious and not obvious because again, when she tells Vision, let's you know, can we start from the top? And she said that multiple times. I, I keep thinking there's she's talking not to them, but to somebody else. And because that she's got power similar to Wanda, that there's there's something she's doing something. Again, there's there's she's communicating to somebody else. I, I, I don't know. I, have I mean, my, I have, she's ahead, making sorry. some eye contact while she's doing that. I don't know. There's something, there's something to it. And maybe again, there's something to it, but I mean, I think, I think there's someone obviously outside controlling all this, um, or, or helping kind of facilitate. And also like your point about how she, she almost seems sad. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't, and I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm Agnes, uh, Hart, Harkness as a number one fan and I've read like every comic with her in it. And I know her whole backstory. And I mean, my point is, is that I don't know if she has any kids, but obviously the, the people she trains and the people she's helped, you know, you know, their powers and things like that, they are probably like her children to her. And if Scarlet Witch and her have had a, a past and a history together, that would make even more sense because she's seen Wanda have maybe the same problems that maybe she had with her. So there's a lot there. And again, the performance that uh, Han is giving us here is really, really good. And um, I got to say, I've been really impressed with her. Uh, 
yeah. this whole series. I mean, everyone's been great. Well, I'm so happy that she gets to flex the different muscles that she has yes. in different shows. Like, you know, having her be the one with like the overactive libido or the very strong libido that Wanda yes. talks about, you know, you can't tame this tiger and, and all that, which that is very like Catherine Hahn type of humor for characters that she's played. Whether you're yeah. talking about something like Step Brothers or playing Jennifer Barkley in Parks and Recreation or in the Bad Moms films, we've seen a lot of that from Katherine Hahn. But if you've seen other movies like Private Life, um, she's done some really great dramatic work. Like she has a really broad range as a performer. And this show, this episode gives her a lot of that, uh, as we see later on with the you know, the death of Sparky later on in the episode. So there's a lot of different things that Katherine Hahn gets to show as an actor in this episode that I really, really appreciated. Yeah. And yeah, as far as what this means, kids, you can't control them no matter how hard you try. Certainly implies that uh, Agnes has tried to control children and failed. Um, is Was she trying to control children for some evil purpose or were those just her own children? whom she's lost. I think there's mm -hmm. some of that yeah. that could be in play here. Uh, but we cut to our theme song, and we're definitely not hiding that we're family ties with the whole painting thing that we're doing here and the, the family portrait uh, that we're getting here. But also the song, and I've seen some reaction of people not necessarily loving this song. I love it. I know it's not upbeat, full house, family matters, mm -hmm. or whatever, or some of the more upbeat theme songs that you would have in the 1980s, but... To me, that would be grossly out of place in this episode. This theme song, it works for the 80s. It is family ties. It's growing pains. But at the same time, like it needs to be a more sentimental yeah. uh, and kind of sad song. And it is, because some of the lyrics include, you wander the world with a vision of what life could be, but then Oof. the years come and teach you to just wait and see. And it talks about how forces may try to pull us apart. Certainly forces are trying to pull apart Wanda and Vision. Uh, forces were just trying to literally pull apart Vision all on his own in some security footage that we'll talk about later on in this episode. Um, and then that whole thing, crossing our fingers, singing a song, making it up as we go along, pretty much what Wanda's doing in this show, you know, we'll be right, we'll be wrong. Wanda is doing some things maybe for the right reasons, but also resulting in some very wrong things happening to people. And she's wrong if she's continuing to play uh, any part in that. So, uh, you know, that whole thing of like, we'll... We'll take it higher. You're all I desire when the going gets tough, when push comes to shove. We're making it up because we got love. Uh, and baby, we got WandaVision. Like, I love the lyrics of the song uh, by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. It's a great theme song that's striking the right tone for this episode. And then just the visuals. If you want the upbeat moments from the opening theme, it's in the visuals. You get baby vision. Like, how can oh you? Oh, my God. Baby Vision never existed. He was born as an adult synthesoid. Like, there's no, like, the fact that we go through all of this and then the stuff they do with the kids is hilarious because we literally just saw them go from infants to toddlers, and yet there's tons of baby uh, pictures of Tommy and Billy uh, with Vision in the Santa suit and all of that stuff. And the birthday, the hilarious birthday celebration with one, two, three, four, and five on the birthday cake. Uh, and then getting like Elizabeth Olsen pictures that really, I mean, and having the kid pictures of Elizabeth Olsen, you can't help but be reminded of, Mary, of her sisters, Mary-Kate and Ashley during Full House of 80s, and which that show went into the 90s as well. Um, and there is a Full House motif in the opening because when they're taking the, they're doing a the little picnic in the park, 
that's very much the starting of Full House with the pictures of the park in San Francisco across the street from their home. So there were some little 80s, 90s callbacks here that were a little more fun, but obviously the song was not upbeat. It was sentimental to ma- and very earnest just to match what was going on in this very special episode. I love the theme song. I freaking loved it. And I, I think you hit on something perfectly here, Sean, is that in, in, even though there were a lot of 80s sitcoms that were silly and over the top and, and ridiculous, the big ones were the ones that were the they did have more drama in it. I think that that's where maybe some people may, may not be or aware of is that, you know, growing up as, a, as an 80s child myself, I can tell I can tell you that. that Every almost every show that was huge that would be re- rerun like crazy always had a, a you know a lot of heavy-handed messages and things like that, and and they're definitely informative. I mean, I learned a lot of life lessons through these things. And the '80s to me feel it feels like entertainment and those things really get like issues and things like that. You know, addressing your traumas, mm-hmm. they start becoming more real, like just kind of thrown in your face a little bit more in this. Uh, well, in to this pretend era. that they're not sanitized, even though they still are. Exactly. So, and again, that that's, that's entertainment, whatever. But, but yeah, I love this because, because it felt like it was the eighties, not just an 80s sitcom, but an 80s show. Mm-hmm. And I re- I really felt that, um, this, this whole thing is, I, I just got to say, as someone who before the series was excited because I knew if they were, if it was going where I thought it was going to be going, it was going to be bonkers. And with the first episode, again, I, I, I just want to preface everything that I say because that first episode was rough for me. But this show, and I think in this episode, in, in this time frame, what they're doing at, up at this point, Sean, it just blows me away that this mainstream thing that so many people are you know watching and talking and has all this buzz about oh a lot they crashed disney plus at midnight pacific time on thursday crazy could not watch the episode that never happened to me with mandalorian and i don't know it could have been some other thing but sure if disney told me this was the most watched episode they've had like within the first few hours that it was available on disney plus i'd believe them because that was the experience and i know it wasn't just me and I was only able to watch the episode. I, It took me a few minutes. I could not get through on Roku and then switched over to Apple TV. And I was able to access it that way. But I heard other people weren't able to access it on Apple TV either. But either way, wow. uh, this show was shutting Disney Plus down for at least a few minutes. And I just I just have to say that it's for good reason. Not And again, mm-hmm. anyone knows I love Mandalorian. I, I prefer the Mandalorian to this just because I think it's just the star Wars and everything and, and whatever, but not cause I love star Wars more than Marvel, but just, and this, if I had to pick the two between, between, bleh, between the two, I'd pick Mandalorian. But the difference is, is that this show just to me shows what Marvel is not just a, you know, the, the traditional, you know, movie idea and that the comic books and the people that wrote those stories and have developed these characters after so many years have given us so many great stories that aren't just the three act structure of basic, you know, rising action and, you know, and whatever, like all that stuff. Like it's not, this has been thrown out the window. Yes. It's, it's going to be, have a lot of that still in it, but 
the way they're presenting it is very much the creative, you know, the creative license and freedom that these comic book writers had for years to do what they want mm. and develop and go bonkers with it. Yeah. And now Marvel is now you know, Disney is letting Kevin Feige, who has proven himself and, and, the, and the people he's put in charge, such a great job of presenting something like this. So unique as I'm watching this show and this, and we're seeing vision as a child, and as you said, Sean, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm, I can't believe what I'm watching. I always say that about Marvel projects. It seems like, and with this one, it's just, I, I can't, I just can't believe what, what we're watching. And it's so creatively well done. It's yeah. not just a, you know, amazing special effects, which again, there's special effects in this that are great, but this is structurally and creatively outside the box of everything Marvel has done before and and is taking so many things from the comics that are bonkers and super creative and interesting and they're incorporating all of that into the series and with as simple as it is with this theme song as what you're saying presenting it in the medium that it's given with again with the song and with the the ideas of a tv show and things like that is just bonkers good and i'm just again i'm sitting there watching everything and then just picking up all the Easter eggs in there. Yeah. And the, and again, like with Billy, Billy's wearing red. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. And Tommy's wearing green. Yeah. And Tommy is, I, you know, he's so much for me, a forgotten character at the end in the at 616 universe. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's all about Wiccan in my opinion, but, but he, he's established. I, I get it. But no, Wiccan being red is just like, I tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, that's, oh man, that's, that's, this is nuts. So I just, I just want to emphasize as we're watching this series at this point, I'm just looking back on what, how long, how far the Marvel cinematic universe has gone. And this series and what we're going to get here. And we're going to talk about in a little bit is just, just is crazy. And it's, and it's not just crazy because of what they're giving us, but how good and how well it's being told. Right. I can't believe it. Ambition is nothing without execution. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, you can get a little bit of love for effort and a little partial credit here and there, but you don't pass the test on that. Yeah. And so I think with what they're doing with this one, it's bold, it's risk taking and how they're doing this. I mean, this is at least the third very different and unique structure that we've had. If you say that we had traditional sitcom for the first three episodes, minus, you know, the last several minutes or so of episode three, and then we had just pure MCU, like outside of sitcom reality yeah. last week. And then this week we're blending the two, which becomes its own new structure effectively yep. because neither mm-hmm. one is exactly what it was uh, when those types of storytelling were just completely on their own in previous episodes. And so yeah. to keep redefining what this show is and to be able to entertain an audience, even as they still don't know exactly what's happening here, like every answer you give them comes with another pair of questions at least. And Mm -hmm. it's certainly the type of thing that people could be frustrated by, but I don't think that's happening because they're continuing to be interesting while the mystery is being unraveled. And that's really important because as I've said before, this is what's going to make the show entertaining to watch and rewatch. Even after you have all of the answers is because it's the emotion of this story that I think is really resonating more so than the, the questions and the mystery surrounding all of it. But um, as we go back to reality, this episode, we 
answer the question, how are they going to handle this? Are they going to bookend the real world with Westview, or how are they going to do that? They are going to intercut. They go back and forth as we see throughout this episode. So as we go back to the exterior outside of Westview, Monica, we hear the voiceover of her uh, initial debriefing with acting director Tyler Hayward. And what's the first thing that she remembers? Monica remembers pain. Then she remembers Wanda's voice in her head. And Monica Mm. says, there was this feeling keeping me down, this hopeless feeling like drowning. It was grief. And there it is, right? We've known this is trauma and grief that Wanda is hiding from, that she is escaping from in one of her favorite forms of escapism, if not her top favorite sitcoms. And what's also really interesting about this is it's not just the the dialogue that makes it clear what Monica felt, but it's that we get flashing shots of Monica's grief and the things yeah. that she is feeling grief over, like the loss of her mother. And even though that happened years ago, remember for Monica, it's only been three weeks, which is nothing if you're talking about losing your mother. So this is still very fresh for Monica. Mm-hmm. And her grief is intercut with the source of her grief, the death of her mother, is intercut with Wanda and the grief that she's experienced. And that actually includes a shot of Wanda crying in a scene that's very fast. You you do have to pause it, but Wanda's crying in a scene that we haven't actually seen, not in any other MCU Mm. movie and not in this show. But she seems to be wearing the outfit that she's wearing when she goes to sword and grabs Vision's body. So we may see uh, more of that later on. But I also think that this is why Monica was so in tune and why she's able to empathize with Wanda. Because even though Monica has been through all of this and she was violently expelled from Westview, she notes later on in this that she believes Wanda was ultimately protecting her while she was, you know, ejecting her from Westview that she, you know, made sure Monica didn't die as a result of it. But the way... Monica is giving Wanda the benefit of the doubt here speaks to, uh, I I think, uh, some real universal truth here of that empathy of, I don't know if Monica would be so in tune with this if she wasn't in the midst of her uh, of being so grief stricken herself. And Mm. I think that is allowing her, uh, you know, a particularly high level of emotional sensitivity, not to say that Monica isn't emotionally sensitive and in tune on her own, but certainly it puts her in a place that is not entirely dissimilar from where Wanda would be. And that ability to relate to Wanda and recognize exactly what that hopeless drowning feeling was and that that was grief. For Monica, it's like she's experiencing it already. And if you're fusing those feelings, it it makes me wonder about other residents of Westview, but more on that as, as we go on. I thought that was really fascinating to see Monica describing just what it felt like to be inside of Westview Equally fascinating is this medical exam that was just concluded, except that nothing's showing up on the scans. So whatever like x-ray, MRI they were doing, the blood work that they did, it comes back inconclusive. There's nothing on there and there's got to be a reason nothing's on there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it looks like the origin of how Monica got her powers has been shown to us. And all that's left is the discovery of those powers. Well, she Easter eggs her own name, uh, you know, a few minutes later. 
And well, I mean, it's already been Easter egg because her mom, it's her mom's Air Force right, call right, sign. Right, right. But she actually says it like because yeah. it's a whole separate thing. It's not just her call sign. It's, it's a it's an actual using in reference of the real like thing. So, yeah. which I was like, OK, so and, and that whole thing about you know, what happened to her. See, I, I at first thought you what you said, Sean, like, OK, this is how she gets her powers, which I think is definitely where they're where they're headed with this, I think. But. I also thought it's about the reality of what she's creating. What's the result of what's going on? Is it, and maybe that's what she, how she gets her powers, but what does it mean for the reality, reality, reality that she's created? Cause mm. obviously they address that later on, but there's something else in there. Like how real is it? Like how strong is it? And I know they had the bullet test there in a minute, but Again, the the creation of the children and things like that. I thought they were really heavily hinting at the fact that maybe this could be uneven somehow. Like it's it's they just don't know the the strength of everything at this point. Even after this episode, we still don't know the extent. We see that it it holds up at this mm-hmm. point, but I don't know. And I think I thought the whole X ray thing was inconclusive. It's almost telling us like everything is inconclusive at this point because we just don't know the, yeah. a, the ripple effects afterwards. Well, I mean, even worse than inconclusive, it's, it's actually blank, you know, like there's, it's it, like it didn't even right. happen. Right. So in, in, in yours, what you're saying makes sense. I just, I just don't know. I hope she gets her powers in a more substantial way other than just like being thrown out of the, well, the there's hex. a science right. behind it, but I'll save that for when, uh, a Marvel science behind it that well, I'll no, save no, for I, I when saying. we get to the wardrobe thing. But um, okay. I mean, I, and I talked about some of that last week, like relic radiation, infinity stones, infinity stones, give people powers and they remind you of that in this episode. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that scene, but okay, 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 okay. I've seen some people hitting on this idea that Monica didn't want to stick around for another round of scans and like, why wouldn't she? I didn't really take that as Monica is intentionally trying to, that she knows that something's up and she doesn't want yeah. it being found out. I, I don't actually buy that. Uh, the reason I don't is because this feels like a pretty standard trope of cops and military yeah. people and government agents and whatever, which is <laughs> like, we, yeah, it's just that classic thing of like, you know, we really should check you out. I feel fine. And I got places to be. I got to go. I don't got time to bleed. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have time for this. I don't, I, you know, uh, I feel fine. Well, and back to the investigation. That's how I felt. Like, that's just hero mode, yeah, right? Like, exactly. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't even have to walk this off. I feel fine. Let's get out of here. Uh, a couple other things to note, though, before we move on from the scene. Jimmy Woo just continues to be so nice. Like, glad to have you back, Captain. And yeah, uh, crediting Darcy once again for her discovery of the television broadcast. Um, also interesting, though, Darcy is a big fan of Monica already, uh, which means that Monica's adventures in space are at least somewhat well known uh, within the astrophysicist community. Uh, mm. So uh, I liked that Darcy was already a fan. And I don't think that fandom was based just on. I mean, I guess you could say she's a fan. And maybe that's what it is, that she was a fan of Geraldine from being in the show because we know that Darcy was invested I don't think so. I think it's yeah, more, I, I think that actually right. is based on Monica Rambo's mm-hmm. real life accomplishments. Yeah. But uh, we have another uh, key scene coming up here. We get to the briefing and now we are here with acting director Tyler Hayward. And he says, he talks about how their theory has shifted from Wanda being one of the victims of the Westview anomaly to being the principal victimizer. Uh, Wu gives a rundown. 
Wanda and her twin brother Pietro, born in Sokovia in 1989, lost their parents, Irina and Oleg Maximov, are these commercial actors, uh, Irina and Oleg Maximov, at age 10. Uh, and Hayward focuses from there on Wanda and Pietro being radicalized by Hydra, which Jimmy rightfully calls an oversimplification. Hayward wants to take a step back and call out that Wanda doesn't have a nickname. I know why they had him do that, because they are going to give Wanda the name officially Scarlet Witch in this series. Kevin Feige talked about that. Elizabeth Olsen talked about that back in Comic-Con 2019 when they officially announced the show, even though we all knew long before that that they were making this thing. They talked about how we would finally understand why Wanda is the Scarlet Witch. And in a subsequent interview, I think Feige eventually said, yeah, like we haven't called her Scarlet Witch in the MCU. Uh, We're going to in this series. So this sets that up. It doesn't really work, though, for Hayward's argument. Like, oh, she doesn't have a nickname as as if that's an argument against her being an Avenger or being a superhero. (laughs) Villains and heroes have nicknames in the MCU. That doesn't really mean anything. But you know what? I'll allow it because Tyler Hayward's a dope and I don't like him anyway. So if you make him look like a dope, (laughs) uh, it doesn't bother me. Um, (laughs) Hayward focuses on Wanda having, you know, attacked the Avengers, but Wu corrects him. Well, hey, after that, she earned their trust, and then she actually was an Avenger for a long time. Uh, And then Hayward just brings it back to Lagos. We'll see more about that in this episode. And uh, Germany, I loved the moment where Wu, uh, as nice as he is, he doesn't want to say anything about uh, Hayward, but he's thinking it. And Darcy almost says it, but it cuts off as Hayward calls Wanda a terrorist, to which Monica uh, objects. And Monica's correct, because Wanda doesn't have a political agenda. She's not a terrorist uh, or any inclination toward destruction. And that's where Monica says, I survived because she chose to protect me. And I think that really is an... There's a back and forth here between Monica and Hayward that I think is really strong. Yes, it was very violent the way Wanda just shot Geraldine or Monica out of Westview. But that same force field that escorted Monica out of Westview also made sure that she didn't sustain any broken bones, bruises, or cuts as she went through a couple walls, a fence, and then the energy uh, field or energy barrier. She went through all of that without injury, and surely Wanda had something to do with that. Um, Hayward talks, you know, he focuses on, well, Wanda is at the present moment uh, holding thousands of people hostage, but Here's a point we hadn't really considered that Monica raises in this debate is it could have been thousands more if she hadn't put up her own quarantine. So rather than looking at this as, from a viewpoint of she's keeping prisoners in and keeping people who would save those prisoners out, that there's a certain amount of damage here that has already happened and Wanda maybe couldn't prevent that from happening, but she is trying to limit the damage by doing, because we haven't heard this really phrased as, and and I haven't even thought about this as a quarantine, that even though, yeah, there's some of the stuff that is not great about Westview, that maybe what Wanda is doing is trying her best to accept that there's damage that has already occurred, but she's trying to limit that. This whole scene, I just got heavy implications of all kinds of stuff and with this stuff, Sean, because we'll get to the tape. Don't worry about that. uh, I'm getting, uh, all right. I haven't even started on the tape yet. Well, the the tape, 
when they're talking about Monica or Monica, oh my God, uh, talking about Wanda and they're talking about her past and, and everything else. It, I think Jimmy Woo, again, when he says it's an oversimplification mm-hmm. about what Hydra is doing, I just got heavy. Yeah, I got heavy things about there's more to Wanda and this mm-hmm. situation than we even know. What we've been talking about for a long time, that again, that the the Infinity Stone did not give them their powers necessarily. It maybe unlocked different aspects of them, but not maybe, maybe not everything. And I think that that's kind of a you know kind of an Easter egg to the start of that. Like though that's we we'll talk more about this as we as we go here. But I got heavy implications of like they're 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 overstating they're overstating this whole you know Hydra and this and that and I'm like okay there's they're they're really setting us up to the fact that like reminding us how they got their powers because if they're not going to do something with that because whether or not you know the mutants come into play or whatever the fact that they're overstating it in this episode and really emphasizing that. It it just is telegraphing that it something's up with it. Whether or not right. what it means, I don't know. But they're setting it up, and I think that's great. And it made me really excited because I'm thinking to myself, okay, there. What we have talked about a long time, like how they introduce mutants, this could be the way, and this could be how they're setting up. You know, trying to figure out Wanda. They figure out through all this, the powers of the Mind Stone doesn't necessarily, you know, necessitate all this what's going on and that would make sense if agatha harkness is involved because she would not know wanda as a witch if it was after age of ultron or right right before age of ultron that doesn't make sense unless she unless they're establishing this agatha has no idea they've never met before which Mm -hmm. is possible but if we're going back at least somewhere with the comic books that she has a history with wanda that means wanda's had this power before the infinity stone so that's where I'm like, okay, so again, making sense that maybe she knew Wanda had those powers and was like, you know, grooming her in some way and was like, maybe, maybe Wanda didn't know she had those powers, but Agatha did. I don't know. But again, they're overstating it during that time frame means like, okay, this is going to be a big thing going forward. So at least the way I read it anyway. Well, I think just that phrase oversimplification felt very timely to say it like yeah well maybe yeah. what you just gave us last week was an oversimplification when you say it's wanda it's all wanda and even monica doesn't just say it's all wanda and leave it at that and wanda is now the enemy and we got to take her out monica is wondering about the intent you know how does monica know what this is why does she think of it as quarantine and see herself as having been protected And I think that's Monica having empathy for Wanda, because if you think about it in this way, if if Wanda was inside Monica's head, then Monica was also inside Wanda's head effectively and maybe has known a little bit more about what is in Wanda's heart, even if Wanda doesn't necessarily know about it or focus on it. But Monica clearly believes, as she says, that uh, she doesn't believe this is a premeditated act of aggression. Hayward says, let's check the tape that for some reason we are only seeing now. More on that in a second. But Hayward says, this morning, 
I received authorization to show, and it's a tape of Wanda attacking S.W.O.R.D. headquarters, the top secret location of Vision's corpse. And Monica rightfully asks, when was this? Well, this was nine days ago, nine days before this briefing. Wanda, according to Hayward, stole Vision's body and resurrected him. And a a key thing here is that, uh, according to Jimmy Woo, the Sokovia Accords must still be in play because he is citing a direct violation of Section 36B that Wanda would have committed by stealing Vision's body. So it looks like the Sokovia Accords are still a thing in the MCU, even after everything that went down in Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, But Hayward also points out uh, that it was part of Vision's own living will uh, to not be resurrected. And Wu says he didn't want to be anyone's living weapon. Hayward then tries to put a bullet on that point. Maximoff, in her grief, disregarded his wishes, meaning Vision's wishes. Why does the acting director of S.W.O.R.D. need authorization to show footage, security footage, from his own headquarters? He's the boss of S.W.O.R.D. Why does he, whose authorization does he need to show this tape. It shouldn't be anyone. Unless we're going to go back to Infinity Saga days, phase one, phase two, where Nick Fury was in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he did answer to people, whether it was Alexander Pierce in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, I mean, presumably the whole time Alexander Pierce was around. But aside from that, well, not presumably, we see him in Endgame, but even Alexander Pierce answers to the, as a boss of Nick Fury at S.H.I.E.L.D. is the the secretary in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. still answers to the World Security Council. So maybe there's one of those. Maybe there's still some other talking head organization that is above S.W.O.R.D. that can say, even though this is security footage from your own facility, Acting Director Hayward, you are not allowed to show it. But even if he wasn't allowed to do that, he clearly knew more than he was letting on when he sent Monica on this mission, it wasn't just about the FBI being in a tizzy. He sent her there. And did he send her there because he knew it was dangerous? And hey, if Monica ends up being lost, maybe that works out for me. Because if she's lost, she's the one person who would question me. Um, and so mm-hmm. if I can't, it's not a direct hit, obviously, because he doesn't know whether or not she's going to be harmed. But if she is, maybe it makes things easier for him. And if Monica instead succeeds and captures Wanda, then that also aids in uh, whatever Hayward is after is after here. And I promise I'll get to that point eventually. Um, but even if he can't show the tape, which I don't believe, but even if he can't show the tape, he knows something's up with Wanda and Vision. He doesn't say anything when he sees them in the sitcom reality in the last episode, when even if he can't show the tape, he doesn't have to sit there as the acting director of this agency and let everybody have to figure out completely for themselves without dropping any hint that Wanda is not a helpless victim here, that she has actually committed a crime. And if she's committed a crime to get Vision out of S.W.O.R.D. headquarters, then she's not purely a victim here, and maybe you want to at least provide a hint to get your agency on the right track of discovering what's happening here. He would at least do that much, but he doesn't. And the reason he doesn't is because this is a cover-up. And what is he covering up? Well, S.W.O.R.D. is a, an organization that is... What's the name of S.W.O.R.D.? What does it stand for? Sentient Weapon 
Observation Response Division. And Hayward talks about, in the last episode, making sentient weapons. What would Vision be? A sentient weapon. That's what he was trying to do. Obviously, we see in the security footage that they're experimenting on Vision. His body has been pulled apart. They are trying to turn him into that. Uh, they are trying to turn him into a weapon, which is actually violating the living will. That's what's violating the living will, what's disregarding the wishes of Vision. He didn't want to be a living weapon, but that's exactly what the sentient weapon observation response division was trying to do under the direction of Hayward. Does that mean everybody at S.W.O.R.D. is bad? No, of course not. Monica has no idea that this was happening, but I think we're going to find out that that's exactly what was going on here. Uh, Wanda did not just break in and steal Vision because she just missed him so badly and needed to resurrect him in a sitcom reality. She may have ultimately done some sort of resurrection, although S.W.O.R.D. may have already started it or completed the resurrection for all we know, but they were already working on something. Wanda must have found out about it. She broke in and she did all of that to save and protect Vision not to manipulate him just because she couldn't handle her own grief. I think this started out, at least initially, with Wanda getting Vision as an act of saving him. I took that as her just... Man, you could interpret that so many different ways. And I think we're going to... we're gonna. It's almost, I hate to, hate to bring this movie up, but it's almost like they're going to last Jedi it. Not in a sense to where they're going to butcher the saga. Just kidding. That was a joke. For the most part, um, no. But I think we're what they're going to do is kind of do what they did with Luke and Kylo and different perspectives, and that's like the on the surface you're seeing Wanda go in like he's and and take him by force, but maybe there's something else at hand we don't know. There's different. There's gonna be different interpretations of that. I scene. think it's pretty clear when Hayward says Hayward talks about creating weapons. And Monica points out to him, hey, we're not, we're sentient weapon observation response. We're not creation, but that's what Hayward was trying to turn them into. Vision, as Darcy points out uh, here as well, that he is a vibranium synthesoid. If you want to make a sentient weapon and you are limited to materials found on Earth, and even if you're not, as good of a foundation as you're going to have is a vibranium sentient like Vision. So that actually makes all the sense in the world why. Hayward would prize Vision as this living weapon that he wanted to create. And I think that speaks to all the other stuff that Hayward is doing in the previous episode and in this episode. It just doesn't make sense to hide that footage. He only shared it when he felt like it was going to, when he'd had to build some narrative around it. But he didn't want to start with that initially. He was hoping this whole thing would be resolved without ever having to show that tape and create questions. And Monica clearly has questions. Why did this you know, when did this happen? Monica has her doubts. I have mine. This is why Hayward is is insisting so strongly and focusing only on the bad things that Wanda has done and her being radicalized, her being a terrorist. And this is also why he tries to kill her in this episode is he wants to silence her because he knows what he did and she knows what he did. See, and, and, and I think it, it's it's probably a little bit of both because I don't... Because unless Wanda's being manipulated completely from, and he's in on it somehow, which is possible. I know there's people have said that he might well, be like, yeah. You know. I don't think he's creating the reality. I, I think, agree. I think this what the inciting incident was this thing with with Sword. 
but then, you know, obviously Wanda, things got out of control when Wanda was looking for a way to protect Vision. But the need for protection was created by S.W.O.R.D. See, and this is where I think the genius of what they're doing here is when we pick up WandaVision, we have no idea what's going on. Because I interpreted that completely differently. Because I interpreted that as Monica's grief just overcoming her, as we've seen throughout this whole series. And again, we and I've said we've all said before, there's something else at hand going on. And maybe this is that a, a piece of that. And I, it makes a lot of sense of what you're saying. To me, there's... It might be that's why I'm saying it might be a little bit of both. I think that there probably were doing something with vision. I mean, that only makes sense. That seems very practical from a Marvel Universe perspective that these people who are are in charge of, you know, having the offense of the planet, the phone, sorry. Um, and uh, they're trying to figure out what we can do, and they have this, you know, powerful being that is missing an infinity stone. Let's mine it like with the celestials from uh, nowhere, right? And let's mine this thing and figure out what we can do to, to weaponize it. Now, not saying that's right either, but with Wanda and her grief, we don't know what happened after Endgame, you know, right after Endgame. We just see all we're giving is seeing her go in after Vision. There's something about that that's very powerful about her being like, I'm going to take this. We do see you know. something in Endgame, though. We do. Well, see, we see at Tony's right. funeral, Wanda having this conversation where Wanda is much more accepting uh, and at peace with what's happened. You know, when Clint is the one saying that he hopes they know, like Natasha and Vision and, and perhaps anybody else, you know, any heroes lost in the fray, he hopes they know that they won. And Wanda is the one who is more accepting and, and more optimistic about it, saying like, they know. And so there mm -hmm. is a certain amount of acceptance and a, a healthier way of dealing with some of this stuff than we are, are seeing now. And you could say that, look, that was a moment where Wanda was feeling okay. And then, you know, yeah. grief being like it is, it, it's not constant in any one direction. So it can go nope. away, it can come back <laughs> and, and all of that. Yeah. And, and so it, there is that part of it, but it almost makes me feel like Wanda was able to accept it up until the point that something else emerged that made her real, you know, that she absolutely would not accept. See, and I would, and I, I kind of like the idea of both to be quite honest. And that's why I'm kind of, and, and I think it's probably a little bit of both. And I hope it is both because one makes, it, it keeps her heroic that she was trying to protect the one person she loves. And I think that's, you know, obviously a very heroic thing, right? I mean, that mm -hmm. keeps in line and it makes her be that superhero still without being, on like just go off the deep end kind of a, the bad guy now right and again we i think she's there's there's outside things even besides this vision thing i i'm i keep saying that but regardless i do want her to have the grief drive her because just like any good story the core of what the character is going through from you know what kind of trial that they're going through, whether it be a physical trial or an emotional sure. trial, that to me is such a relatable thing for so many, everybody, right? And so I think that there's, it's, it's a relatable, the fact that someone can just, you know, lose themselves in their grief. And I think that, and to be quite honest, from a very personal standpoint, that's where I actually really love the Wanda character. Not that I love to see her suffer, but the fact that she embodies, uh, I think, an aspect of, of us as people that 
you know, that have a hard time accepting the reality around them and they create their own. And I think it's very, you know, again, when that could be talking, uh, talking about our escapism, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that or whatever. I mean, there is so much, um, there's so much great richness of, of relatability with her in this episode or in this series and especially what she does here for vision. And again, I like the idea of uh, doing both. What you said totally makes sense. And I think I'm like, yeah, that, that, well, I, and I, I like that too. When the both you're talking about, I, I think we are talking about the same both. My point, true, he, true. my point here is not that because sword was doing something with vision and trying to turn him into a living weapon that means that grief is not what was driving Wanda or is not what's driving Wanda in this show. It is. Grief and trauma are definitely huge factors in this for Wanda and maybe more than just her. No doubt about that. I'm not questioning that whatsoever. I'm only talking mm. about this inciting incident that gotcha. that grief is not what made her go to S.W.O.R.D. headquarters. But grief might have been what drove, well, in some ways, there's some inspiration, think, yeah. but there was an active wrong thing that was happening to uh, Vision yeah. that she that needed to sense. stop one way or another, regardless of how she was doing re- with respect to her grief. But then if she takes Vision's body and now it's just there and she's seeing it all over again, then mm-hmm. what she may have been at peace with, she no longer is because this trauma is now right back in her face. And it's not her fault that it's right back in her face because she needed right. to stop something bad from happening. And she had a responsibility and a sense of duty to the love of her life to do that, to spare him the fate that she knew he did not want. So, you know, so that was certainly a thing that she had to do regardless. But then what happens after that? And yeah. when she's, because the, now Vision's body is right in front of her, that, her grief influences the decision to rather than just take Vision's body to some place where it can be protected and prove that Sword did the wrong thing and make sure they get prosecuted and whatever else. That rather than take that route, she's taking matters into her own hands. Um, that also is able to be a really nice hiding spot, or so she mm-hmm. thinks from the trauma and the grief in her life. So all of that stuff is still very much in play, but. Hayward sucks. Well, and, and you know, something that just came to me too, Sean, is what if she was manipulated to not manipulated, but almost like coerced into doing going there? Like, well, it's hey, like who, she, who told her about it? Exactly. And that's and that's kind of the thing I'm kind of thinking about. I'm like, man, there's something, you know, there's just something there that is like, like you said, like who what brought her to that point? And I mean, maybe wh- Agnes told her. See, exactly. So as far as uh, the the post-briefing, you know, I mentioned how Darcy points out, you know, vibranium synthesoid. They're, one, they're still wondering things that we're wondering as an audience, like how did Wanda bring Vision back without the Mind Stone? We want to know the same thing. But there's also a different question now of did she do it or did S.W.O.R.D. already do some or all of the work? Because it looked like they had Vision pulled apart and were experimenting on him. So maybe they were able to take whatever data Shuri had saved in Wakanda, because they clearly went to Wakanda to get Vision's body, or maybe it was sent over, but whoever sends it over maybe also shared some data. And so if they think that all of this is well-intended, and so 
this is all about figuring out what happened with Vision or allowing the U.S. to reclaim his body or whatever else. They were working on Vision and maybe they already did a good chunk of the work. Now, I think Wanda has the ability to synthesize enough of the effects of the Mind Stone in order to resurrect Vision, kind of. But maybe she's not the only one who had anything to do with that. And there's another point about that, but I'll wait until we get to another uh, key moment later on in the episode um, that hasn't actually happened yet. That's part of a conversation that Wanda and Vision uh, will later have. So we cut back to happy-ish sitcom land, and it's time to meet Sparky. So uh, Tommy and Billy are giving the dog a bath in the sink, and then we get some more dopey classic sitcom humor of, you know, I just, I wanted you to stop crying, now you're walking, all that stuff. Um, And then uh, Vision, when he emerges, as of course the kids want to have the dog, uh, Vision shows up and he is in full disguise and Wanda asks him why so formal. Well, he had a hunch that someone might pop over and he was correct. Agnes drops in right at that moment with, as Vision points out, exactly what they need, a doghouse for their new dog. And Agnes just says that it was her kitchen window that told her someone got a new pooch. But in the same way that it sounds like, or that it seemed like Wanda summoned Agnes, Mm. it seems like that happened again here. And Wanda creates a dog collar. Once they come up on the name Sparky, which is an homage to the Tom King vision run. They had a dog whose name's Sparky. Um, I don't want to spoil what happened to that dog, but that dog eventually becomes a synthesoid. I don't know if we'll get that part of it in the show because they sounds like Vision just buried the dog in this episode when things didn't work out for Sparky. Um, but Wanda creates a dog collar and a tag for Sparky from nothing. And she does this right in front of Agnes, who was, to be somewhat fair to Wanda, happened to be looking down at the time, but it would have been very easy for Agnes to look back up. And Vision calls Wanda out on this for making no effort to conceal her abilities. And Wanda, who just a few weeks ago in episode two was saying how badly she wanted to fit in and really wanted to conceal their powers. In fact, Vision was the one who was all gummed up and basically drunk on the the works being gummed up during their illusion and glamour stage show that Vision was giving away that they had powers. And Wanda was the one working so hard to create practical explanations for everything that they were doing, whether they were effective and true to how we, how mirrors work or not. So Wanda was the one trying so hard. Well, now she's the one who's tired of, of hiding and saying, maybe you, Vision, don't have to either. And Vision is saying, you know, Wanda, we're usually so much of the same mind, but right now, what aren't you telling me? And... There are a couple ways of looking at this. Why is Wanda doing this now? You could certainly say that, look, there's too much going on in this reality. There's too much for her to manage that also trying to conceal who she is and what she can do in front of everybody. She just doesn't have that energy. She doesn't have the energy to keep up that charade for everybody all the time. But she's really only relaxing in front of one person, and that one person is Agnes. Um, So... To go back to that point you were saying of why Agnes and has something been established ahead of time, I think something has to have been. This is why Wanda, whether she knows it or not, this is why Wanda is so comfortable with Agnes, is I don't know that Wanda is aware 
if Wanda remembers, because she says later mm-hmm. on the episode, she doesn't remember how all this started. Mm-hmm. I don't think Wanda remembers, but she knew Agnes at the start of this, and maybe even long before that. Maybe Auntie Agnes wasn't just the aunt, it wasn't just an aunt to Will, you know, to Billy and Tommy. Maybe before that, she was an aunt to Wanda and Pietro. Mm-hmm. Is possible. Um, so there's that, but whatever the relationship was, I do think there was some relationship ahead of time. And who's the one who's telling Wanda, hey, you can do this. Maybe that's Agnes, although Agnes doesn't seem to have a a full grasp of what Wanda can and can't do. More on that later. But Agnes is here playing a part. And Agnes knows that she's playing a part. And she doesn't have to be woken up to know that she's playing a part. She's just she's fully aware that she is acting for her director in Wanda Maximoff. And so I feel like there is some plan that maybe when Wanda was desperate and needed help because Mm. I have to protect myself, I have to protect Vision because at some point they're going to get him, which means they're going to get me. And I have I, I need a way around this. And Agnes maybe came along at just the right time to say, hey, I know a way. And also, I'm not ruling out the possibility that, as I said before, how did Wanda even discover that S.W.O.R.D. was working on Vision? Maybe Agnes helped her make that discovery in the first place. But one way or another, I think Agnes was involved in the origin of this Westview sitcom reality. It may be Wanda as the main engine that makes this possible, but Agnes has power here. And that's why Wanda, whether she's aware of it or not, has this trust with Agnes because she already knows her. Man, this is, uh, yeah, I, I think that Agnes and, and Wanda knew each other. Again, we're, they're setting up the fact that Hydra created Wanda and Pietro. And it's like, eh, we'll see about that. And I think that the one thing about a- a- Agnes is... And going back into the history of the MCU and how it adapts in from the 616 and borrows or whatever is, and, and this is what makes it kind of exciting for a Marvel zombie like myself, is we don't really know the intent and the exact adaptation or interpretation of these characters. For all we know, Sean, Agatha could be behind everything like you kind of alluded to as well. Like that very well could be like just maybe she's a villain. In all this, you know, I don't think so because of the, she could the be behind idea. all of it and not be a villain. Right, right. There's that, too. It doesn't there's something inherent about this this whole hex uh, thing that, that's going on that Wanda's creating that I don't think Agatha would be would be behind. And I think that, that again, going back to why I think that Agatha is kind of in the middle, perhaps, of something that she's trying to protect Wanda, but also knows that she I don't know. Like, I feel like she's she knows the way to get through to Wanda. And right now, this is the way to do it. I don't know. Whatever. But like you said, that's very, very much a possibility. I think the hex and Wanda. I think there is something inherently. I want to say evil, but wrong to to like where Wanda and Agatha it just seems like kind of at least from the 616 per, uh, perceptions is wrong and would be because every, everyone's there against their will and especially with the, we'll get to that scene with Vision it's emphasizing that people are not happy there and that they're held against their will and that doesn't seem like Agatha to me um again don't know the character super 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 well but I know her well enough to that 
that doesn't necessarily add up for me. But again, this could be a whole different interpretation of the character. So yeah, there's just, to me, it's, we're seeing this idea that Wanda needs Agatha and that she keeps showing up more and more and more as a mentor character whenever like it's a subconscious thing that Wanda doesn't even know she's doing. And I like that a lot. And again, that's why I keep going back to the fact that that she, Agatha is definitely going to be some kind of ally for her uh, going forward. And maybe she knows uh, Agatha knows that where her grief and how the power level that she has, which again would emphasize the idea of her having powers before the infinity stone she knows like I better get in and help like almost like be a therapist, if you will, because if I don't like things are going to get even worse because they do emphasize that, you know, or I think it's Jimmy Woo, um, I believe, who says, well, why isn't this, you know, to, this could be a quarantine. Like, what if it's like that was Monica protect- who said that Yeah, or Monica, excuse me, Monica, if she that could be, you know, helpful or helped by Agnes, knowing that. Again, look, going back to the, to the comic books, you know, House of M, no more mutants and Avengers, uh, Avengers disassembled. All that was all predicated by the most powerful, you know, one of the most powerful people in the, uh, you know, 616 universe and, and all this crazy stuff. And maybe that, you know, in this version of the MCU or th- this these characters, Agnes knows that's what she's capable of. And if she doesn't go in there and do something and make it be more condensed that things are going to get out of control, like a multiverse of madness. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at right now that I think that there's, I think Wanda's kind of like losing control of her power in some ways. And that Agnes is there kind of as like an anchor. Um, and is like, and again, she's kind of playing like this kind of middle ground. So again, emphasizing this episode, it seems like. And she may, Agnes may have powers that Wanda doesn't have. And exactly, mm-hmm. I think there is some form of reciprocation here. I think that mm-hmm. they are yeah. helping each other. And I think that's why they have made some sort of pact here. And that's why I, I point out this idea that Agnes could play a vital role in how all of this started in the first place, but that doesn't necessarily make her a villain. Her intention might have been to help Wanda while also knowing that Wanda maybe would be able to help Agnes in return if there's something that Agnes needs. And it's not some villain thing. It's just a reasonable thing that somebody may need. Somebody who may also be hurting as Agnes may also be hurting. Wanda and Monica may not be the only ones, but The other key thing, of course, that happens in this scene, Vision says the kids need to be age 10 in order Mm -hmm. to have a dog. And Billy and Tommy look at each other and then they just grow up to age 10. And it's important that Agnes is here both times that we see the kids rapidly age up. And she's not phased by it, by the way. Like, maybe she didn't see Wanda create... A uh, she didn't see want to create a dog collar and tag out of nothing, but an even weirder thing is that these kids just age five years right in front of her, and Agnes is unfazed by it. She just makes a joke. Let's just hope this dog stays the same size. That's it. So you could say she's unfazed by it because she did it, but 
it looks like Billy and Tommy did it. They're looking at each other with this little mischievous mm-hmm, look of like, yeah, yeah let's do this. And, and as I said, power wise, <laughs> it would be Billy <laughs> who could do, do that. Not so much Tommy, uh, but Tommy is yeah. totally willing here because they get a dog out of it. So of course they're going to make that call. Easy call for that for a couple five-year-olds to make. So yeah. it looks like the kids are doing it, but you can't dismiss the point that Agnes is there. Um, but also she says she can't, control you can't control kids so maybe wanda can't and maybe agnes can't either i I don't know um but this time it felt like it was the kids who initiated this growth spurt not so much agnes but clearly agnes has no issue with it because again agnes knows the deal here she knows what's up so whether she's making these kids grow or they're doing it on their own this is all stuff that she's completely comfortable with because she's got her own weird backstory just like and and probably powers just like Wanda has her own weird backstory and powers. Or not so much yeah. a weird backstory for Wanda, um tragic more likely, but at the yeah. same time yeah. uh we have uh at the same time of course, you know, we still have the he's fast she's weird thing of a lot of stuff goes on with Wanda that is still uh unexplained. You know Really quickly, I know the first thing we we said we're gonna be a long one. We knew it when yeah. we, before we started. We, yeah, we do. So I just I don't mean to kind of like divulge this, but I just kind of it gets popped in my head about Wanda and Agnes, Sean. And this would be a very comic book trope uh, to do this. Uh, what if like she has suppressed memories? Like literally, what if Agnes shut that part of her mind off? So she, I don't want to get Professor X here. Uh, necessarily either like mm-hmm. not to that extent of like Jean Grey but what if like Agnes knew that she was the world and or not the world but maybe Wanda wasn't ready to withstand this and then when the Strucker you know whatever again we don't know how Strucker picked those two out of nowhere either by the way so it's not like he just happened to be like oh I found some twins I mean tears. maybe Agnes was there too Yes, we don't know. Maybe Agnes what? handed them over to Strucker. Maybe I don't know. Cure, cure them, maybe. I yeah. don't know. There, there's what Strucker knew and what remains to be seen. And I, I, I don't think Strucker knew they they had powers or, or whatever. I, I think that no, he well, he tested a a bunch of people, and right. they just happened to be the two who survived. I mean, he had a exactly. large sample size. It's just the rest of them died, as far as we know. Yeah, as far as we know. So again. As far as we know, wink, wink, somewhere down the line, a comic book writer would write that into like, you know, oh, yeah, no, for villain team, right? Which would be awesome, by the way. But anyway, um, but I digress. But back to my other digression. Um, the other thing I was going to say was, but what if Agnes was the one or that, again, su- suppressed this part of her? Because in the comic books, she's really young when when Agnes takes her and Again, it would it would also make sense to where, you know, Wanda's power level like would make sense why she's so less powerful in the MCU event, uh, Avengers films opposed to and now WandaVision where she's just like it's like, whoa, she's like full on like 616 version, which is unreal power. So, again, I, I wonder if that could possibly be a, a story point in this series, uh, Sean. I was curious your your take on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think all of these different things are in play right now. And that's why with the stuff with Agnes, 
I went into, if there's one thing besides like I didn't have enough fun in the 80s that I would be disappointed by this week, but disappointed isn't even the right word because it's not like yeah. the show did anything wrong, but mm-hmm. I was hoping for just because I want to solve the mystery. It, it's for no other reason than that. So it's not a flaw of the show that didn't give it to me. It will eventually. Mm-hmm. Is Yeah, I was hoping to have more concrete information upon which to base my Agnes theories this week. I thought that we would get more of that. But <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. As I said before, like, yeah, there's stuff that looks like answers, but effectively creates new questions. There seems to be some sort of trust and shorthand and communic and like subconscious communication, right? Right. Wanda doesn't have to like yell out the window, Agnes, I need you. It's a subconscious thing. Like in her mind, Wanda can just summon Agnes with exactly what Wanda needs, be it lavender or a doghouse, whatever it is. So I I think that, um, and also when she needs help, she knows that Agnes is the one to call in the first place, right? Like why Agnes? And because it looks like a first meeting ever when you go back to episode one. And there's not enough that's happened between these two characters to say that this is a bond to where Wanda knows she can rely on Agnes. There's no moment that we've seen. And I know that there's other episodes that are happening because we see clips of things that we didn't see on the show that S.W.O.R.D. gets to watch. But I don't think it's that sort of unseen, we'll never see it material that they're relying on here in the story. I think it's stuff that we will eventually find out. I think Wanda knows that she can rely on Agnes and that this is the person to call when she feels like she needs help. When Wanda comes up against the limits of her control, this is the person she calls uh, to give her an added edge in hopes of maybe being able to control something. So that points to a pre-established relationship and understanding between those characters. And I have more thoughts on what that's going to be, but I'll save that for another scene that involves Wanda and Agnes later on in this episode. We go back to a meeting between Wu, Monica, and Darcy. You got to love Wu bringing the coffee and the smile to the meeting. Got to love it. Um, And as they're trying to sort out whether or not Monica can go back into Westview without being harmed. I mean, she wasn't, at least physically anyway, she wasn't physically harmed the last time, but, and also they're wondering like if her mind would be wiped and it sort of was and sort of wasn't uh, when there's that kind of in-between limbo thing, hypnosis that Wanda is able to put on people and maybe it's not only Wanda. Um, So they're trying to figure out whether or not it's safe for Monica to go back. She's talking about all the things she needs uh, to get. And of course, it's a, it's an impossible list. Uh, but she does mention that she knows an aerospace engineer who'd be up for this challenge. So, Paul, before we even get to the rest of the scene, they not only mention an aerospace engineer, but then cut to like her about to dial on the phone. And then, of course, she doesn't. She's subsequently interrupted. Is this Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, Sue Storm, Are we going full on Fantastic Four over here or is it maybe just somebody else? I mean, it could be a scroll like Monica knows scrolls, right? I mean, she knew when she was a kid. Uh, So, I mean, there's people that I mean, now, to be clear, 
Skrulls did not have the best science guys relative to space because they didn't know orbital, you know, orbital positioning vectors when they saw them. But it maybe could be that. It maybe could be a reference to the FF. But I'm trying to pump the brakes on references to the FF because even though we know it's officially been announced, John Watts is directing. There's a lot of wishful. I have to police myself with Fantastic Four stuff because I know that it's wishful thinking on my part that we get the Fantastic Four and we see more connections to them and everything like that. Maybe that's what she's talking about with an aerospace engineer, but it could totally be somebody else. I do suspect, though, we will find out who that is. Yeah, it's I totally it went over my head, man, to be quite honest. When, when I watched the episode, I was just kind of like wrapped up in the the present and in, in classic Sean fashion to analyzing every every bit. And I'm oh, just yeah. kind of like dirt, you know, no, that's that's really interesting. Um I, I mean, some you know, people oversimplify. I choose to overanalyze, and I love overanalyzing too. But when in the, in the moment, like I'm just too like wrapped up. It takes me oh, a while no, to yeah. things. Yeah, well, and at this point, like my view count, I've seen this episode like four times going into this podcast. So Damn. like I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, you yeah, you are. I watched like <laughs> we're recording this people right after I just watched it once. Yeah, so you're doing pretty well right. for having watched it once. Um, so as far as, you know, what you're like, I can't recall that much from one viewing. I'm no good at anything short-term memory anymore. Um, but but, but, but the the aerospace thing I think is interesting. I think you're on the money. Yeah. I'd I'd blow my mind if, uh, freaking Reed Richards was the one other line. Like, oh yeah, we we talked to this guy, I'm Richards. I'd be like, what? You know, I do this full on old school squeal, man. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. which that's I'm saving that for another time. We'll see when that happens. But uh, but yeah, that would be rad. I'd be yeah. down with that. Yeah, I'd be all for it. But I mean, to really pay that off, it's like, did you cast Reed Richards already and just not tell us? I mean, I suppose like they're pretty good at keeping secrets sometimes uh, unless yeah. we're talking about Spider-Man three. They're tending to let all that out. But um Sticking with this scene, Darcy calls the anomaly, which is at one point called the Westview anomaly. In an email, it's called the Maximoff anomaly, uh, which Vision talks about because he gets that email. Um, But Darcy has a better name for it. She calls it the hex because of the hexagonal shape of uh, of Westview and the barrier around Westview. But the better reason for it being called the hex is the hex powers of Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. So... I appreciate that, and it's a better name than just choose your label anomaly. So uh, the hex is going on, and Wu is wondering if anybody has ID'd the kids, meaning has anybody ID'd them as, like, who are these kids really in, like, the outside world? Mm-hmm. But no, they are yeah. of the world of Westview, Wanda's Westview. Not the Westview that existed before Wanda got there, but Wanda's Westview. They are natives of that Monica says the kids are real, and um, that would mean, as Darcy points out, that Wanda must be manipulating solid matter, and if she's doing all of that all at once with all of these different things, and they're permanent, um, then this would be a a power from, and Darcy and Wu hit on this, this would be a power level that's so far beyond anything that Wanda has displayed. Monica corrects them a little bit, saying, well... Wanda had Thanos beat until he did his little all-out blitz, the rain fire that we remember from Avengers Endgame. Mm. Uh, and then Wu says, uh, well, Captain Mar- you could argue Captain Marvel also came pretty close. I'll t- let's talk about the beef with Captain Marvel first. Um, mm. 
Monica does not look happy at all when the name Captain Marvel is dropped, uh, trying to change the subject, saying we are not talking about her. And Wu and Darcy both notice this. They both yeah. clock uh, the discontent that Monica expresses when we hear the name, when she hears the name Captain Marvel. And this creates all sorts of questions for Captain Marvel, too, if we don't get these answers sooner than that. But I can already imagine a number of reasons why Monica would be upset with Carol Danvers. What if Carol never came by after 1995? What if the when she took off at the end of that first movie, she never stopped by to see Maria or Monica ever again? And it was just a complete abandonment. That's mm-hmm. possible, but I feel like it doesn't have to be that bad. It could still be bad, certainly from Monica's perspective, if she wonders or knows that Carol maybe didn't come by to see Maria when Maria was sick. So in all that time that, you know, before they knew that the surgery went well, Carol wasn't there. But, you know, there was still a danger to Maria's life. Carol wasn't there. Or maybe in the two years in between Monica disappearing and Maria having passed that she knows Carol never came back. Maybe she's learned that in the past three weeks that Carol never came back and saw her mother. Or maybe... Monica's thinking about the last three weeks that, Mm. you know, I lost my mom and I know you were or you should know that I lost my mom and I know you were here because you were on earth for this final battle and you never came looking for me to see if I was okay, if my mom was okay, or if you knew that my mom had passed, that you're not coming in to, to see me based on that. There's certainly stuff like that. Uh, where you feel like maybe Monica feels like she and or her mother were abandoned by Carol Danvers. So there is that. Um, or maybe Maria mm. felt abandoned by Carol Danvers and expressed that to Monica. Um, mm. Certainly that's possible. But we also know that Monica's been out in space. And so maybe something happened out in space that maybe Carol was there for or not there for uh, that caused uh, some issue. But clearly there is an issue between Monica and Captain Marvel. And it may be one-sided in that Monica knows that she's angry with Captain Marvel, but Captain Marvel doesn't necessarily know that. But that would point to Captain Marvel, again, abandoning her friends. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't even know that they're upset with her. Um, but certainly there's an issue here that's going to need to be resolved. Well, I, I think that just goes and set, uh, sets up a good character um kind of a conflict for Captain Marvel 2 and the fact that there's, there's, there's repercussions to, you know, doing one thing instead of another, instead of staying one place, you know, not saying that what they did was wrong initially, like what, what Carol did, but there is going to be, you know, sometimes there's going to be cla- uh, collateral damage. That's probably the wrong word for it. But again, reactions or consequences for leaving for or doing different things than what maybe people and think of you should do and again when you don't see that person or those people for a long time it's and again for all we know monica could blame what happens to her mom with carol we don't know the extent of that's what possible. exactly it, 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 there's cancer i think and again i think that's what they're setting up because it would make sense to where um 
that she would hold on to those those bitterness those bitter feelings because she cares about her as she was like an aunt to her a family to her mm-hmm. and and then all of a sudden she's gone forever right and or you know and then all of a sudden her mom has to pick up the pieces and maybe live in Captain Marvel's shadow because because again if Sword is a separate thing from from Shield and it was kind of growing at the same time as Shield was then. Captain Marvel is probably very well known in that circle. And maybe that she felt her Captain Marvel got more uh, praise than what she deserved. And then maybe her, she feels her mom did more. Again, I'm just kind of throwing things out there, but there could be a lot of legitimate reasons why she could be upset at Captain Marvel. Oh, totally. Marvel. And, and again, I think it's really cool. And, and again, they're not just going to hammer out like when they look at, look at each other and she can be like, hold on, here's some expository uh, yeah, line. No, no, no. Said it once, give a look, moving on. And again, the, the, the brilliance of the MCU is borrowing the ideas of what the comic books do as far, and not as comic books, but comic books have those long form soap opera, you know, tales right. that they can set those Easter eggs up and then, you know, supplant them and let them grow in a different section of the universe. And that's exactly what we're doing here. And I love that, that they're borrowing that aspect from the comic book specifically of like, okay, let's take that little nugget. And then if this, if this were like a comic book, Sean, from like the, like, you know, pretty much before like two thousands of the nineties back. Oh, there would be an editor's note. Exactly. Tell you where to go find out more about this thing. Or yeah, like what is Monica talking about? Yeah, Why don't you find no out? question that that's what love- you would get. And and I love that that's something the MCU takes advantage of. That this these kinds of things can be baked in, and it's okay to do that because you don't need to have the whole lowdown on that because that's not our main story right now. We can establish that this character is feeling this way about this thing, but that's not the main problem they're dealing with right now. So her focus is elsewhere. And she even states, you know, her focus is elsewhere. We're not talking about her. And they just move on from there. And and I want to be clear, like all these things that I'm talking about for Monica potentially being upset with Carol, it may be one of these things, it may not. But if it is, these are not petty things. That's exactly. a valid emotional response that if somebody is your mom's best friend and, and your aunt and you don't feel like she came back and was there for you or your mom in your time of need, it's a big deal. Uh, and mm-hmm. so uh, it, and it's certainly a valid concern, a valid complaint, uh, if that's why Monica has an issue with Captain Marvel, but it may be about something else. But another question that I've seen come up about this is this whole thing of how do people know what happened in the final battle? How does anybody know that Wanda had Thanos beat or that Captain Marvel came close I never assumed that what happened in the final battle of Endgame was a secret. I know mm. it didn't happen in the middle of New York or Sokovia, where you had innocent bystanders, civilians, and news crews who are capturing footage and all of that stuff. I understand that wasn't the environment. They're out there at Avengers Compound, and it's only superheroes and people being you know, brought through portals to help fight alongside the superheroes, which effectively makes them superheroes in that battle. They're all Avengers and they got to assemble. But I didn't think of it as a secret. Like the world would know what happened to some extent. They don't know everything, but they would at least know a lot of the high points of that battle. They know Tony died, right? I mean, so we saw that or we will see that because this is after it's after WandaVision, but the in memoriam video in Spider-Man Far From Home, they know Tony died. You don't think people asked how? 
and, and didn't want some version mm-hmm. of, of events. And we know that S.W.O.R.D., if the Sokovia Accords are still in play, then investigations are still going to happen. And I don't think that everybody who was there for the final battle was sworn to secrecy because this wasn't Infinity Gauntlet where everybody was pretending it never happened. And most people still ne- never even knew or remembered that it happened. That's not what we were dealing with in Infinity War and Endgame. So I just never assumed it was a secret. The only thing that seems to have been kept a secret is that Cap was still alive and went back in time to replace Infinity Stones. And even that may not have been alive. Maybe when we know people think that Cap is dead because he's also in that In Memoriam video in Spider-Man Far From Home, but maybe Cap died as an old man and we just don't know it and that's actually true. Or maybe they're saying that Cap didn't die during the final battle, but he did become an old man and died an old man and they're protecting some secrets. So the only secret seems to be that Cap is still alive and and how they chose to tell that lie, um, I don't know. But I don't think they just tried to pretend the whole thing never happened and covered it up. There's no reason for them to have Mm. to cover it up. So I could see that being the story, the, the story of the heroism. I mean, we saw people celebrating the victory, right? So part of the mm-hmm. celebration is talking about the extraordinary acts of heroism that were displayed during the final battle. So it's not really a leap at all. It's not even a small step to get to this idea that people would know some of the high points of that final battle in Endgame. And yeah, that would be a great part of the story. We had Thanos beat. Wanda had Thanos beat. And then he did this thing, and all of a sudden we didn't, and Captain Marvel looked like she had him beat. And then he did this thing with the Power Stone. So Tony had to steal all the stones, snap his fingers, and sacrifice himself in order to save the day. But Wanda almost had him. Captain Marvel almost had him. Those would mm-hmm. be fairly basic parts of the story. It's not a surprise to me at all that yeah. Monica or Jimmy Woo or probably millions of other people around the world, or at least hundreds, or maybe more like at least thousands, would know yeah that some of this stuff happened. Like, I don't really see why it's that much of a question. Yeah. Ex- ex- yeah. That, I never, I don't understand if people who don't like understand that where she could be, you know, be angry or coming from. And especially the fact that thinking about this too, I mean, and maybe you brought this up already or already thinking it, but think of, think of your Monica, right. And your mom and you are, are basically running this like huge organiz- underground organization, uh, not underground, but you know, or uh, top secret, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, organization for the United States government. You see shield like disintegrate and you're like, still like all you're still like head honcho, all super powerful thing in this world. And you're in on everything at this point, And you're seeing the Avengers do all this. You see Captain Marvel show up out of nowhere. And you're like, Oh my God, yeah. like my aunt's back. You're, you're back mom. And all your mom's dying from cancer. And then all of a sudden you get snapped, not, everyone around you get snapped you get snapped out of existence and you come back and you can say wow why why wasn't she here before to stop this i mean there are so much that because i think that's gonna that's something to really uh play in on as well as being snapped back in existence and missing all those things and maybe that's another reason why she's bitter so i mean there's so many different aspects and i like that idea that we her being snapped out and back in and because i just watched far from home first time since the theater to be honest a couple weeks ago and seeing aunt may just take being like snapped like so like oh i was snapped again played for laughs yeah you get the exact opposite here 
where I think that I think that's going to be a that's going to be played into this where a whole trauma of like I just lost yeah a big moment of my life and this is and the last two years of her mom's life and and I think that's a good point is if she feels like you know hey Carol if if you had been there maybe Mm -hmm. Thanos doesn't win and I get to spend my mom's last two years with her um I mean I think it's more likely Carol not I don't know that she would blame Carol for not beating Thanos but um, cause, but just not helping, but the, yeah, yeah, certainly to get to that point. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, it's just not a stretch at all for me to accept that people know what happened in the final battle of Avengers Endgame. Um, but another key point about this is we're talking about Captain Marvel and, and what got Monica to really insist that they are not talking about her is Darcy pointing out that Captain Marvel's powers also came from an infinity stone. And so this is where I think Marvel Studios is doing a very good job of mm. not forcing you as an audience member, depending on your level of engagement with these stories, to remember everything. And you also yep. don't need the hyper-detailed version of what happened, because if you want that, it's on Disney Plus, go watch it. So I think what they're doing is they're just giving you the high points. They're just giving you the little cliff notes that you need to understand something. Notes. Yeah, so these are the editor notes, Sean. Yeah, they're giving you these little yeah editor notes to tell like, but they're not telling you necessarily where to go. They're just reminding you of the thing that you need to know, which is exactly hey, yeah. in our universe, Infinity Stones have been a not uncommon way method in which we have given people powers. So Wanda and Pietro either got their powers or had their powers unlocked by an Infinity Stone. And a different Infinity Stone gave Captain Marvel her powers. And why do we want you to know that? Well, you could say that the reason they want us to know that is to just get a recap of how Wanda got her powers. And this is a way of introducing Captain Marvel into the conversation so we can establish that Monica is not happy with Captain Marvel, except that Captain Marvel was already introduced in the conversation before the point was made about Infinity Stones. So if they're bringing this back up and making sure the audience, in case they don't remember, gets this quick little reminder that Infinity Stones have been a source of superpowers for a few characters in the MCU already, maybe they're telling you that so you know that that's part of the deal so you're not that surprised or not questioning it when it happens again or if it's already happened again to Monica Rambeau. Mm -hmm. And that's before we get into other characters potentially. I talked about the Kamala Khan idea. If this radiation expands just any further in New Jersey, you could get to Jersey City and Kamala Khan becomes Miss Marvel and gets her powers via Infinity Stones, via the Mind Stone, uh, as we have here with, you know, this relic radiation uh, that can be traced back to the Big Bang, just like Infinity Stones can be. Uh, So we have we have those possibilities. And even then, like there's a certain amount of. I don't want to say truth, but like consistency with even the way superpowers were given in the Marvel age of comics where everything's the atomic age, right? Well, we don't quite live in that age anymore, but it still is some form of radiation. The Mind Stone, it's not necessarily emitting CMBR, but there is that connection to it as relic radiation. But the Space Stone, by the way, did give off radiation. If we remember... From mm-hmm. the Avengers, it actually gave off low levels of gamma radiation. Gamma, yep, exactly. What it and up, yeah. uh, that's why Banner was brought in. 
So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of gamma radiation, maybe, that helped give Captain Marvel her powers. And so these radiation connections with Infinity Stones and superpowers, this stuff has been baked into the MCU for a long time. Uh, there was no Tesseract involved at Culver University when Bruce Banner got his powers, just gamma radiation. But still, we are reminding the audience of the point that, hey, Infinity Stones have been giving people powers in the past. Uh, maybe it's worth remembering that because maybe you're about to see it again. Or as I said, maybe you already saw it again, which brings me to the next point. So we see that uh, one other quick note here on the board is the mailman who mailman Dennis, who we'll see later on in the episode, because he was one of the people who was not identified last week. He has been. His profile is on the board in that room and he has his New Jersey driver's license. So he's a real person just like uh, Phil Jones or Norm or Herb. Uh, Norm, of course, we'll get a big update on uh, later on in this episode in the very next scene, actually. But Monica discovers that her sitcom outfit is actually her real-life outfit. It's just been reshaped. It is Monica. I'm sorry, not Monica. It's Wanda who has is, is changing things in this reality, and they are permanent physical changes. Her Kevlar vest is what became her 1970s outfit. And so these changes that are made inside Westview have permanent ramifications outside of it. And so if we're talking about powers, well, what if the protective red bubble that Wanda used to ever not so gently uh, escort Monica out of Westview, what if that fused with her as she was exiting? And that was part of how she got the powers. Um, and that's why it's a permanent change outside of Westview. Wanda's powers, because they were just attached to Monica in this moment as she was going through the barrier that has its own bits of radiation, that all that fused, and that's part of how Monica now has her powers. And that's not necessarily something that would apply to everybody who comes into contact with that radiation. It would only apply to Monica and allow it to be more unique to her because it's the combination of going through the barrier while also be surrounded, being surrounded by and encased in this other energy uh, that Wanda put Monica in. I know I'm reaching, but I think Monica's going to have powers by the end of this show. I think you're right, but I'm also like, uh, man, like, ah, this, this is like a giant rabbit hole just of the whole powers, com- like, combined, we, you know. Yeah. Um, no, but this like, is a way whole, to actually like, contain it and explain why it's just Monica and not necessarily have to say, well, this thing is going to give everybody powers all at once. We'll shut down the speculation temporarily yeah. um, <laughs> while we move away to, uh, or we move back into sitcom reality. Uh, we are once again at the offices of Computational Services Incorporated, and Computational Services Incorporated finally has computers with which to provide their computational services. So uh, Vision is introducing Norm to this computer that has a very early form of internet and email and and all the good stuff. Uh, Norm wants to know if it will be able to find him a wife, and Vision is correct. Eventually it will. Um, So now Norm needs to actually find a wife at some point in this show. he doesn't appear to already be married, or maybe he is in real life. I don't know. But what's also interesting about this, though, is Norm once again compares Vision to a computer, except this time Vision doesn't get defensive about it. He's just totally fine with it and goes right back into, let's check out the new computer that we just set up. And an email from Darcy comes in, and I don't, it's, 
it's all making these dial-up sounds and everything, so it makes me feel like... I mean, Darcy didn't mention intentionally sending an email into Westview, and like, what address would she even know to send it to? So it feels like some sort of inadvertent uh, communication was intercepted here by this computer being connected to the internet, and everyone in the office reads it aloud, and it's going through this whole thing about the Maximoff anomaly, and then they all just laugh it off and play it as a joke. Norm says it's a joke. None of it's real. And then Vision uses a technique or a reverse form of a technique that we have not seen since Age of Ultron. He reaches into the computer and kind of gets the little internet powers from inside the computer, and he uses that to wake up Norm. And when I mentioned a reverse version of Age of Ultron, remember there was that moment where Vision, he didn't have to touch a computer beforehand uh, because Vision is a computer sort of in his own way. He shut Ultron out of the internet. So in the same way that he's trying to like open up the world to Norm, he was closing off the world to Ultron, Age of Ultron. So as I said, reverse effect, but Norm wakes up in a panic and... Vision at this point, not that he knows Norm's real name, is talking to Abilash Tandon, who's saying, please help me, what day is it? Doesn't know how long it's been, needs his phone so he can call his sister because his sister is taking care of their dad, who is sick. And then Norm or Abilash is saying, you have to stop her. Vision says, stop who? And Norm just continues, she's in my head, none of it's my own, it hurts, it hurts so much, just make her stop, just make her stop, and screams, and then Vision puts him back into being sitcom norm. I don't know. I have slightly mixed feelings about this because I'm like, what part hurts so much? Is it this part now while you're awake? Or is it the part where norm is like seemingly okay and happy in sitcom land, but that's actually a very painful experience because if Vision just put him back in that painful experience to make him (laughs) stop screaming, that's messed up on the part of Vision. Uh But I'm going to give Vision the benefit of the doubt and say that Vision thought uh, it was painful right then in that moment. And maybe there's not so much discomfort uh, when you are seemingly happy as a sitcom character. But um, it is interesting, though, that Norm says she's in my head, make her stop, but doesn't say Wanda. Now, we can just use deductive reasoning and say, well, other people talk about Wanda being in their head. Monica talks about hearing Wanda's voice in her head. And so that makes Wanda the prime suspect as being the one inside of Norm's head as well. But that's still an assumption that may not carry out all the way if we're talking about other characters being in play here. And Wanda may not be the only one inside people's heads. And maybe Agnes is another one because uh, Wanda tries to allege later on in this that she doesn't control everyone and everything inside of Westview. So if that's true, and it may not be, but if that's true, then it could be a her who is not Wanda, and that person could be Agnes. This scene is actually way more disturbing than I think I like people even realize. And maybe if you, people realize it, and I just, it's whatever. But I when I watch this, Sean, I'm like, Oh, it's it's not comfortable. Yeah, this is messed up. Like, this is maybe the most psychological messed up thing in the MCU. Like, what's going on? Because you have, and it's brilliantly written and and performed by everyone. And I think what I love about it is you have this this facade 
And then when you have the real person break through and he's just like, he's flipping out and you're like, man, this is, and he's saying everything that's going on and that Wanda is controlling and he's hearing Wanda in his mm-hmm. head. I'm like, damn, damn, damn. And yeah. then I'm like, what's what? I'm like, don't tell me he's going to no way. And then vision like does something to shut his mind down. I'm like, well, oh, that's messed up. Like it's the, oh, dude, it's, I mean, what are you going to do when you, at that point, you have yeah, to, you no. have to break, well, you have to. and if he's running around screaming, like he, that could also make him a danger, right? And that it, could make him a target. Yeah. So I'm not, even though, yeah, it is kind of messed up if Vision puts him back into a situation that's painful. Maybe Vision didn't know which situation was worse or more painful. And that's a fair mm-hmm. thing. And so right. I, I get it. It's maybe making the, the best of just a generally messed up situation. It's really, it just shows more of how nuts this show really is. Oh, yeah. And and, and one last thing, too. I think it's interesting, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but the fact that Vision is a key and can, like, manipulate, turn this guy off and on. Now, he is still being controlled by Wanda, the, um, the person, and I think that was that made me think okay maybe it's it's, it is still wanda but the fact that vision has the ability to turn something off and on almost makes me think there's a technological element behind this as well not just the only thing driving it but there's it's being almost so like it's being boosted by technology just throwing it out there it's possible yeah that came up on uh that was a theory that came up on slash film daily podcast today to somebody thinking well maybe computational services inc actually is some machine that's helping mm-hmm. this in some way i'm not totally sold on that just yet but i do expect that vision to now that he's discovered a key for waking people up he's gonna use it more uh okay yeah. so let's go to uh where we see wanda and the boys and Billy is teaching Sparky tricks. Dad is at work and the kids are like, but it's Saturday. Wanda tries to convince them it's Monday, but they're not buying it because they remember that this morning was Saturday. Then Wanda shifts to blaming an emergency at the office. They don't really buy that either. And they're worried that dad just wants to get away from them. And so it turns into a very special episode where we have to talk about parents fighting and that sometimes parents don't get along and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that the family is breaking up just like these kids fight over their toys, but they still love each other because as Wanda points out, family is forever. So then Tommy asks if Wanda has a brother and she says she does and acknowledges that him being far away makes her feel sad. And just Wanda admitting a feeling is progress mm-hmm. for her, um, and we'll talk more about her progress. But uh, before Wanda can really and fully process that, something is scaring Sparky, and it's an 80s tech drone. And we get Sword's theory on what's been happening here with rewinds and jump cuts is that Wanda is deciding what makes it onto her show and what doesn't because they don't see their own drone because Wanda has framed it out of the shot. So as Monica is trying to reach out peacefully to Wanda, uh, Wanda's eyes go red. Hayward decides at this moment, time to order a shot to be taken. Monica didn't even know that the drone was armed. 
and then they get static on the screen. There's an alarm that's triggered and there's a breach at the barrier. And then we see everybody rushing to the barrier and Wanda emerges from the barrier of Westview. I can't say I saw this coming in this episode, that Wanda was going to step out of the barrier and directly confront S.W.O.R.D. in this episode. She just is, she's carrying the drone and she's fried the thing, she chucks it. And then um, even Monica, who's been giving Wanda the benefit of the doubt, looks a little scared of what Wanda might do. And Hayward tries to say, the missile was just a precaution. And I'm just like, this guy. Um, come on. Uh, but then he says, you can hardly blame us, Wanda. And Wanda says, oh, I think I can. And I don't think when she says, oh, I think I can, that she is blaming them just for firing a shot at her inside Westview. I think she's blaming them because you and I both know, Hayward, what you were up to when I went and I found Vision. And mm. then she says, this will be your only warning. Stay out of my home. You don't bother me. I won't bother you. But also, she's so angry right now, and her accent is back. The Sokovian accent that Mm -hmm. briefly appeared again in episode three is now back, and it just points to that, right? If the accent was something that she dropped as uh, a means of blending in, being undetected as a secret Avenger, and all the different reasons that she may have gone without the accent over time, that when things are getting real and the emotions are raw, and she just has to speak the truth of how she's feeling in that moment... The accent is fully back, and Hayward is saying, you know, it's not, of course, that simple to just, we don't bother you, you don't bother us. She has taken an an entire town hostage, and Wanda refutes that by talking about that she's not the one with the guns, but Monica is pointing out Wanda is the one in control, and Wanda seems a little surprised to see Monica, like, you're still here. I don't think that's because Wanda thought Monica was dead. I think she's surprised that Monica did not just run away scared. And maybe that'll mean something positive to Wanda at some point. I don't know. But she starts flexing her uh, hex powers uh, we see in her hand. Um, But then Monica gives uh, a pretty good speech here. You know, she points out to Wanda that Monica did not know the drone was armed. um, And she kind of calls Wanda out on not knowing that Geraldine or Monica was an agent of S.W.O.R.D., you have a town full of, civ- of civilians and you, a telepath, brought a sword agent into your home. She's accusing Wanda of knowing exactly who she was when Wanda was talking to Geraldine the entire time and also trusting her. You trusted me to help deliver your babies. On some level, Wanda, you know I'm an ally. I want to help you. And I really like the way that Monica positions all of this. Like She calls out the things that that have to be true of Wanda. Like, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but there's good stuff too. There is uh, some element of Wanda that, or many aspects of her personality that like she's at war with herself in many ways that like, Mm -hmm. there's a part of her that wants to shut the world out, but there's another part of her that is reaching out for help and wants to invite the world in. And that's the part of her that ignores the fact that she should be able to easily discover that Geraldine is not who she says she is and she's a sword agent and throw her out. Um, but Wanda is saying, you know, how can you help me? What can you possibly have to offer me? Monica says, what do you want? And Wanda says, I have what I want and no one will ever take it from me again. And it's really key how she changes who she's looking at as she says that last line, I have what I want and no one will ever take it from me again. 
she begins that line delivery by talking to Monica. But by the end of that line, she in looking at Monica, by the end of that line, she is looking at Hayward. And that's another thing of no one will ever take it from me again. Hayward is certainly not the only one who's ever taken or tried to take anything from Wanda Thanos. She says it. You took everything from me during the final battle in Avengers Endgame. But I think she is specifically saying that Hayward has taken something from her before and he never will again. I think he took Vision and Wanda went and got him back because Hayward was up to no good with Vision and Wanda knew it somehow. Uh, Then Wanda makes the sword agents turn their guns on Hayward. Um, Then she also changes the barrier and makes it red. And I'm guessing this means the barrier is impenetrable now because... You know, the the solve that Monica came up with is if we want something to go into the barrier and it can't be and we don't want it changed, we just need to make sure it was of that time. And there would be more options available to Monica and S.W.O.R.D. because as we progress through the decades, there's just more and more modern technology uh, that works or, you know, formerly modern technology, but it's closer to when it was modern technology that's going to be more readily available. So S.W.O.R.D. was going to have more access to Westview doesn't look like that's still going to be the case because Wanda now knows what the flaw was and she seems to have uh, made things more intense with uh, that barrier. But this whole scene, I thought, was really, really great, really intense. It it furthers that suspicion I I have that, yeah, Hayward was up to no good with Vision and Wanda found out and addressed that. But just the intensity from Elizabeth Olsen, who is just, I mean doing so many different things in this role throughout these episodes and just flips a different switch here and not a scene I was expecting in this episode, um, but it was just so good. Yeah, this was a, might be my favorite part of the episode um, because of the performance, because of you're kind of seeing what we've saw before from Wanda in the previous films and you're kind of seeing almost come to a head, but it's not coming to a head because this is like the, what the middle part of the season. So you're looking at it just kind of, you know, something we've been waiting for to happen finally happens. And it's kind of lives up to what you expect. She, she's not just outright like destroying everybody, but she lets them know who's in right. control here and it's her. And, uh, I just love that. It's it, again, it felt very much like the Wanda that this is exactly what Wanda is like and what she's, uh, capable of, but you know, I, I, this was an amazing scene. I, I thought it was great. It was awesome. And we go back to, we actually cut to an ad before we go to sitcom land. So we're back to ads because we're seeing sitcom footage again, which means we're going to get commercials or a commercial. And so our couple is back. Is this Irina and Oleg Maximoff? I don't know, but we also see the kids who were in the Hydra soap commercials. So now we have another set of characters that are established firmly as recurring uh, actors in these commercials. So who are they? And uh, this commercial, though, is for Lagos brand paper towels for when you make a mess you didn't mean to. These ads have consistently been the terrible trauma tour of Wanda Maximoff. Like, that's what they've been. But this was almost like trolling and how mocking this was in tone. Um, I mean, and you could say that's because somebody else is behind these ads, but you know, this is also a product of 
uh, Wanda's subconscious. And so if this ad is popping up at a moment where she is intense and angry, maybe that's why we're seeing this almost snarky attitude in this uh, ad. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the Lagos brand paper towels, this is of course referring to what happened in Lagos, Nigeria in the opening of Captain America Civil War when Brock Rumlow was trying to steal a biological weapon or crossbones as he was at that point with his full costume and everything and looked awesome. But you remember they were in the marketplace. Rumlow tried to blow himself up and take Cap and, and anybody else nearby with him. And Wanda stopped that from happening by containing that explosion temporarily shot Rumlow up into the sky, but then lost control of that, and the explosion did trigger uh, right outside the window of a building, and so many people died, including several Wakandans. So Wanda made a mess she didn't mean to in Lagos, and so that was, of course, a traumatic event for her, and it was next in line. If you track the way we've gone in order here, Stark Missile with the Stark Industries Toastmate 2000, Strucker with the Strucker watch in episode two. In episode three, we went Hydra Soak. And I still consider that being in order because even though Strucker was Hydra, you're still taking like the very specific source of trauma within Hydra and then broadening it out because Hydra, of course, they're discovering more about that as Wanda and Pietro presumably did. You could say the next thing should have been Pietro's death. And so maybe it should have been an Ultron reference. But I think there's been enough coverage already of Pietro's death between acknowledging that he was killed by Ultron, which Monica did in episode three. And then uh, we effectively revisited that scene again in episode four. And Wanda expresses her missing and being sad about Pietro again already in this episode. So there's just not a need for the ad. At that, at that point, it's extremely redundant to have the ad cover Pietro. You go to the next thing on the list, which is Lagos, uh, which makes you wonder, you know, what are they going to consider the very next thing on the list after that. You could go back to Stark and say that it was a traumatic experience for Wanda to feel betrayed when it turned out Tony had given a directive to keep her in the house during Captain America Civil War. Or maybe it's going to be more Mindstone-centric or Thanos-centric. Maybe next week it'll be a McDonald's commercial starring Grimace. I don't know. Um, but you certainly have some uh, other traumatic instances for Wanda that maybe we will see in these ads. But Lagos felt like the next one that was up. Uh, and I just thought this ad was brilliantly done. But yeah, it that one cut deep uh, in, mm -hmm. in the way that it was delivered here. Um, we move on to the search for Sparky. And we see Mailman Dennis again. As I said, he was identified. That's a real person with a New Jersey driver's license. Um, but I also like what he says when the kids are looking for the dog. And Dennis says, he's sure to turn up. Your mom won't let him get far. And then he looks at Wanda and pays his respects, just saying, ma'am. He's saying Wanda won't let, your mom won't let him, Sparky, get far because Wanda's not letting anyone in Westview get far. Um, but then we have Agnes emerging from the bushes with a dead Sparky all wrapped up. Agnes is hesitant to say what happened. She said, I didn't want to uh, come until I'd wrapped him up. Agnes found Sparky in her azalea bushes, and apparently he, eat, he ate too many of the leaves and was poisoned, and he died. And the kids are very upset, and Wanda believes they're about to react to this by aging themselves up, and she tells them not to do that. And Agnes seems genuinely touched by this conversation. Now, Agnes is an actor playing a role, so you can't just trust everything she's doing at 
face value, but if Agnes is an actor in all of this and she is only an actor, this is her most convincing acting to date uh, in this sitcom reality. Uh, But Wanda talks about how the urge to run from this feeling is powerful, I know, and Wanda knows because that's exactly what she's doing. And Billy is talking about how it's too sad, and Tommy is saying, you can fix everything, Mom, fix the dead. And Wanda's taken aback by that, saying, like, what? No. And Agnes clues into that and says, you can do that. And then Wanda makes it seem like she can't, or I'm trying to tell you there are rules in life. We can't rush aging just because it's convenient, and we can't reverse death no matter how sad it makes us, okay? Some things are forever. And watch Agnes. If you haven't noticed it the first time you watched it or whatever viewing number you're on, watch Agnes right after that line. It looks like her heart sinks. And nobody's looking at her. There's no reason for her to react that way. There's no performance for anybody in that moment. She seems genuinely disappointed and heartbroken to hear that Wanda is not going to be in the business of bringing people back from the dead. And it's not really so much Wanda saying she can't do it. It's Wanda saying it's wrong. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, Wanda brought Vision back from the dead, so isn't she a hypocrite? Maybe. Um, But maybe the other thing is she didn't actually bring Vision back. Maybe S.W.O.R.D. did with their experimenting. But Billy is talking about how you said families forever, times they bring him back, and then Vision shows up and comforts the boys when he realizes what's happened. But this conversation, I thought, was beautiful on so many different levels. I mean, Wanda is talking to her children if only she could be talking to herself at the same time, because this is exactly the advice that she needs to hear. And this is where I'm starting to turn in, on, in this idea of Agnes maybe more helping Wanda. I'm not saying she murdered Sparky, although maybe Sparky was never real to begin with. I don't know. Agnes, at the very least, seemed to be taking advantage of the situation. I know some of the theory out there as well. She was actually hoping the kids would age up again, and that's why she did this. And there's always that ulterior motive that you suspect with Agnes, but it also felt like she was reacting genuinely to these things even when nobody was looking at her. And so that makes me wonder if maybe the reason why Agnes was so invested in this conversation, I think there are two potential reasons, and it may indeed be both of them. One is that Agnes really is trying to help Wanda. And she Mm. knows what Wanda is doing here. And she knows that Wanda needs to get herself out of it. Nobody is going to be able to talk Wanda out of doing all of this. Wanda has to talk herself out of it. If Wanda has this conversation with her children, trying to teach them how to deal with grief and loss, to deal with those things in a healthy way, maybe if Wanda, in teaching that lesson to her children, that she will hear it herself and it will transfer over, that it will click for her. Oh my God, this is, I'm doing the thing that I'm teaching my kids. I'm trying to teach my kids not to do this. I'm trying to teach them how to deal with grief in a healthy way, and I'm totally not doing that, and I need to. And maybe that's what Agnes is hoping here, is that she can help Wanda help herself. But, as I also said, Agnes seems genuinely disappointed by the point that Wanda whether it's a philosophical issue or physical issue or both, cannot or feels like she cannot or should not reverse death, no matter how sad it makes us. Does Agnes want a death or multiple deaths reversed and now knows Wanda 
won't do that, is the thing that Agnes was hoping for this whole time, that Wanda would reverse a death, because maybe Agnes suspected that Wanda would do that, because it seems like maybe she reversed the death of Vision, that that's not going to be what how this is going to go down. And that's when I, I mentioned how there seems to be some pre-existing relationship, deal, agreement, arrangement, whatever, between Wanda and Agnes, that maybe this was what it was, is that Agnes would help protect Wanda and Vision from the outside world, and in turn, there was something that Wanda was going to be able to do, or Agnes thought Wanda would be able to do for her, and it's just not going to happen. And that is something that could result in Agnes maybe having an issue with Wanda, or it might, Agnes may still accept uh, graciously that certain things are not going to happen for her, but she can still help Wanda. This played positively to me. I mean, it could be just extra manipulative and messed up. That's still on the table. But the way it read to me was really Agnes trying to help Wanda. And unfortunately, it doesn't fully click for Wanda. She can give this speech to her kids, and it's a great speech about dealing with pain and loss. But Wanda doesn't see enough of herself in it. Uh, I mean, she... She puts herself in that position. She acknowledges that she knows the feeling they're, experience, they're experiencing, but she's not clicking it all the way over to, oh, I'm dealing with it the wrong way. I'm doing my own version of aging up to avoid my problem and, and my problems and all of that stuff. But that's that still tracks for me. And there's something that resonates with that. That's, there's something that's very real and true about that because Wanda would not be in the, the first person in the MCU or even in real life, in our lives, that uh, she would not be the first person who could not follow her own emotional advice. That's a very common thing uh, that people are, when people are looking outside of themselves, they can see a truth that they can identify and speak to. But when it comes back on them and it's something that's emotionally impacting them, they don't see it or feel it or experience it or perceive it in quite the same way and thus can't follow what would otherwise just seem like obvious and reasonable advice. I'm I'm with you on that one. I I think that there's she's definitely sad of what Wanda's talking about and is unable to articulate at that moment. So, yeah, yeah totally. It's just uh it was beautiful. As I said, Catherine yeah. Hahn being able to not just make crude jokes, but yeah, she can act just mm -hmm. beautifully and does so yes. in this uh in this scene. We go back home and Oh, man, this scene is so good. Vision has just buried the dog. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not often you get a dog and bury it in the same day. Wanda's saying life moves pretty fast in the suburbs, and it's sort of a joke, but just totally at the wrong time. Outside of, you know, tonally it being wrong for this moment, it would be a funny bit because that's what's been happening this entire time is life has been moving very, very fast out in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. But Vision is not in that mood. Talks about how he spoke with Norm, unearthed uh, the man's suppressed personality, spoke to him free of your oversight, and talks tells Wanda that Norm was in pain. And Wanda just says, Vision, she tries to kind of laugh it off, and like, can we just, and Vision's like, what, watch TV, turn in for the night? Uh, no, Wanda, you can't control me the way you do them. And then she says, can't I? And... At that moment, at first, I was like, is she going to do like another one of her rewinds or jump cuts? Um, but no, she just rolls the credits. And then Vision is saying we're not done, asking questions. What's the Maximoff anomaly? She doesn't know 
what that is. Vision's trying to give her the benefit of the doubt here, and I don't think he's wrong uh, when he's saying, like, I have to believe that this, whatever this is, was subconscious at first and that you only recently became aware of it. If Wanda is doing this by herself, then I agree with Vision that this started in her subconscious. But if she made a deal with somebody, that's harder to do subconsciously, unless her and Agnes both made a deal subconsciously and neither one of them remembers it. Um, but she may have been conscious when she made the deal and then not you know, forgot that it was ever made, whatever this is. When Wanda is trying to say like she doesn't know what Vision's talking about, when she says like Norm has a family and you won't let him reach them, she says, I don't know what you're talking about. And Vision said, stop lying to me. And he is angry and he levitates in the air. Wanda follows suit. So it looks like we're going to have this physical confrontation between Wanda and Vision, but it remains verbal and mostly nonviolent or entirely nonviolent. Um, and Wanda saying, this is for all of us, so let me handle it. And Vision asks one of the essential questions here, what is outside of Westview? And Wanda says, you don't want to know. I promise you, it would almost seem overly simplistic if what Vision doesn't want to know is death. I don't know that death would bother Vision. And so you could say that, well, if Vision steps outside the barrier, he'll just drop dead. For Vision, what would be a fate worse than death? What would be a fate scarier than death? Well, it would be his final wishes not being respected, which is being turned into a living weapon. What if what's outside of Westview is Sword immediately being able to seize control of Vision and actually use him as a weapon? Maybe that's what Wanda is afraid of, is not that I will lose you, everyone will lose you, you will lose yourself, and the world will lose what you were because Sword is going to change what you are to the world. And beyond this world, potentially. I think that, you know, Vision wanting to know what's outside of Westview, Wanda's reaction to it, and now knowing that S.W.O.R.D. was most likely up to some stuff with Vision has me thinking that this is, this might be about more than keeping Vision alive. This might be more about, you know, keeping Vision's soul intact. This scene's amazing. Seeing them go at it for, you know, emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, was really, really powerful and just beautifully performed by both Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. And I, I loved it. And you touch on something here, Sean, I think where we talked about that this different vision character is, you know, going on. And, and we talked about the white vision essentially coming in fruition. And we knowing that he's a different character that's where they were going and she didn't want that that to happen because like you said she, she's fighting for his soul and what if the byproduct of all that is going to be that white vision we talked about the all white kind of more robotic less emotional vision yeah. um well that's definitely it, what sword was trying to turn him into i'm exactly. sure of it yeah and so with all that that's going to be really fascinating to see that's how we're going to get that that version of the character and this was a great scene um seeing that on screen was really powerful. And again, it's, we're not blowing up buildings or blowing up half the universe and, yeah, you know, and throwing a, a moon on top of Iron Man, uh, to have add spectacle. This was a very small portion, but arguably just as impactful because of, of the emotional weight behind everything, what we've, they've built up to, which is awesome. So this was a great, great scene uh that i I just i think that people should definitely be talking a lot about 
Oh, and I, I think people will be, no doubt about it. And the idea of what's outside of Westview isn't the only mystery that Vision speaks to here. I mean, he's talking about, like, I can't remember my life before Westview. I yeah. don't know who I am, and I'm scared. Well, he died before he was in Westview. So maybe he can't remember who he was before he died. Um, and maybe without the Mind Stone, he can't access who he was with it. Um, but the other uh, bigger mystery, potentially, is Wanda, why are there no other children in Westview? And she tries to brush it off, saying there are, just stop it. And he says, no, the playground stands empty every morning I walk to work. Why, tell me why, this is an important question. And it makes me wonder, why are there no other children? Is it because Agnes has excused the children because she can't control them? Or if we're looking at things where Wanda might think she's helping people, and going back to the connection between Wanda and Monica that seems to be a connection through their similar relationships with grief at this particular moment of each of their lives, what if these other residents of Westview are similarly grief-stricken? What if they lost their children? What mm. if there was a real-life tragedy in which the children of Westview died and... There are so many different ways that that could happen, depending on how real world they want to get with it. But there's also ways they could do it within that would still be very tragic and more within the confines of the MCU. Like we know when the snap happened, mm -hmm. people died without turning to dust. There was collateral damage. We see a helicopter crash. That doesn't mean everybody who was aboard the helicopter had turned to dust. There might've been other people who survived the snap, but died in the helicopter crash, as we saw in the post credit scene for Infinity War. And there could have been numerous instances of that. What if whatever happened in Westview caused the children to die in some collateral damage event that was real and in a way that they don't get to come back from the snap? So whichever parents of Westview came back thinking maybe their kids would as well, or maybe they'd just be five years older, that didn't happen. And maybe that's why all the children are gone is because they're literally gone in this space. There is that. Or, of course, you could say, again, it's some spell that's keeping the children away because Agnes can't control them. Uh, and everybody was just begging for their children back with all that for the children talk in episode two. I know I got really dark there for a second and talking about a bunch of kids having been killed. But that potentially could be something where Wanda thinks she's sparing people mm -hmm. of uh, a feeling. Although, of course, she isn't because... That's what people feel when they're under Wanda's influence is that drowning sense of grief. Um, but this is where we're talking about things getting really dark and tragic and messed up. But there's plenty of that going on in this episode or in this series. But Wanda tries to deny this. You know, do you really think I'm controlling everything, walking people's dogs, mowing their lawns, making sure they get to the dentist on time? I don't think she's doing all that. I think she is correct in that she's not literally making every decision for everyone every minute of every day. But if they're on autopilot, she may have been the one who put them on autopilot and programmed the parameters and limits of that autopilot. So maybe she doesn't decide what everybody does throughout every moment of the day, but maybe it's already pre-programmed by Wanda or Agnes or, some, or both of them or someone else of, here's what they don't do. They don't leave Westview. They don't ask too many questions. And if they start to, something bad happens to them and they go back to not asking questions. That may be a way in which Wanda is or is not controlling the residents of Westview. 
I think Vision is getting through to Wanda in this conversation. And she's saying, like, I, didn't, I don't know how any of this started in the first place. So it was subconscious or she doesn't remember something that she set up, whether that was with Agnes or someone else or all by herself. But as Vision is saying, you know, what you're doing here, it's wrong. The doorbell rings. And I got to say, like, I knew immediately who this was going to be based on Wanda's reaction, because it wasn't it wasn't a situation where she was going to summon help. She seems immediately surprised by the doorbell ringing. So she didn't summon anybody. She doesn't expect anyone to be there. And there's really only one person who I felt could show up because they kept talking about him. Uh, And we also knew that uh, Pietro and we also knew that Evan Peters was probably going to be involved in this uh, because there had been reports of him being uh, potentially involved in this uh, a while back. The doorbell rings and Wanda says, I didn't do that, but Vision doesn't seem to believe her. And he says, at this point, I'm ignoring statistics entirely because, yeah, the the pattern has been that Wanda lies. So the only way Vision's going to be able to believe her is by ignoring the pattern that he has witnessed. So Wanda opens the door taken aback by who she sees, uh, seems genuinely surprised by whom she sees, and Darcy is racing to the TV as we hear another breach alarm blaring at this sword base. Vision is saying, Wanda, who is this? And it's Pietro, and we see from behind that it looks like a similar hairdo from Age of Ultron, so could this be Aaron Taylor Johnson? No, this is Evan Peters, who played Pietro Maximoff, a.k.a. Quicksilver, in the Fox X-Men universe, the audience cheers for the arrival of this long-lost bro, who Pietro asks if he gets to squeeze his stinking sister to death or what, and Darcy calls it out. She recasts Pietro, and <sighs> Wanda is asking, is this Pietro? They hug, and then Pietro says, who's the popsicle? So we know that Vision wouldn't know who Pietro is because he doesn't remember anything before Westview, so he would not remember Pietro from Age of Ultron. But... Pietro, if he were the same guy, would presumably remember Vision, but he's not the same guy. He's been recast, but it's not just being recast as in a different player playing the same version of the character. No, this is a different version of the character. We could go another two hours discussing the implications of this, Paul, uh, but we will not. We will not. My reaction to this is I will focus on what we said before we started recording, which is, I know this is the moment that's going to get the most attention and the most conversation for this episode of WandaVision. I don't even think it's in my top three, maybe not even my top five of the best moments in this episode. And I know for some people will say that's crazy because this is such a huge surprise. In many ways, it wasn't for me. As I said, as soon as the doorbell rang, I knew who this was going to be because of what they've been doing in the show up until this point. I guess there were leaks last week that confirmed this. I was lucky enough not to see those, thankfully. But in knowing that Evan Peters, or at least having previously heard there was a chance or rumor or whatever that maybe he was going to be in the series, um, and it felt like, okay, maybe he'll be playing Quicksilver because that's the character he played in the Fox X-Men movies and... Disney owns Fox now, meaning Marvel Studios has access to all of those movies and those iterations of those characters. Of course, the ability was going to be there. Were they actually going to do it? Well, it's clear that Evan Peters is playing some version of Pietro in this. It's not clear yet what all of this means. And that's why I don't actually know 
how I feel about it. It's exciting to see this. Why is it exciting, though? Well, certainly because of potential implications, but I thought Evan Peters was really fun as Pietro Mm -hmm. in those Fox X-Men movies. I know maybe people forgot about it after Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, but if you go back to 2014 and 2015, 2014 being when Pietro, as played by Evan Peters, debuted in X-Men Days of Future Past, and then a year later, you had Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, the consensus was that people liked Evan Peters' version better than the Aaron Taylor Johnson version. Now, in fairness, the Evan Peters version got more to do uh, and got a more exciting scene with that kitchen scene from Days of Future Past, which is unbelievable and awesome. It was a more popular turn for the character, so I'm not surprised by that. I don't know that that's necessarily what what motivated this recasting. Maybe they really wanted it to be a different version of Pietro because they want the original in this universe, their original Pietro, they want that death to stick. They don't want it to be undone. That if Wanda's going to get some version of her brother back, it can't be the same one. She'll never get that back because he's gone forever. Maybe that's what it is. And it's just to be honest about Pietro having died. And it's still exciting to see, you know, the possibilities of what may happen with Evan Peters showing up as Pietro. And what does this mean? Did he really come over from the Fox X-Men universe? I mean, the audio description of what's happening describes him as Pietro from the X-Men movies. So that seems to be the implication here, but maybe that's just so people would know uh, what's being described on screen because um, they want they want us thinking that, right? I mean, if you're, if you're an audience member who doesn't know the Fox X-Men movies, then you don't have to engage with it on this level. All you need to know is this is Wanda's brother, except it's not because he's been recast and we'll let you we'll tell you more next week. That's all you need if you don't know all the other stuff. And I think you're fine with that mystery. If yeah. you know the background like we do and you're engaging you're engaging with it on a slightly different level, we don't really have any more certainty than people who don't know the background of this version mm-hmm. of the character. Because we don't know the definitive answer. We might speculate about different things and ask different questions. But I don't actually know the truth of this any more than anyone else does, except for the people who made this show. I don't know if this means that Pietro came over from, literally came over from the Fox X-Men universe. I don't know if this is Agnes having created some version of Pietro or Mephisto having created some version of Pietro. I don't know what this is. Did he breach the barrier? Is that Did he breach the barrier from the outside going in? Is that why the alarm is going off when Darcy is running the TV? Maybe. I don't really know what this means. I tend to think that maybe it'll be more self-contained than just being like all of the mutants from the Fox X-Men universe are coming over right now. I don't think it's going to blow up that big. But of course, if you introduce the idea of there being some gap in the multiverse that this version of Pietro was able to get through, then there may be more who follow in, in subsequent Marvel Studios projects. So I'm just acknowledging the potential implications of this And from a broader perspective, mutants coming into the picture because this is a version of Pietro who definitely was a mutant. Mm -hmm. So, yes, all of those things are on the table, but it may not be the biggest version that we can imagine of what this is going to mean and the place that this is ultimately going to have in the story. So it's exciting and it's fun. But I think there are moments in this that are so intense and so emotional and resonate so powerfully with me that and those are ones where. I don't need an answer to a riddle in order to be satisfied by them. This one, I need the riddle. I need the answer to this riddle before I totally know how I feel about what exactly yeah. is happening here. 
this could be interpreted so many different ways and speculated on. And I kind of go with the idea that this is probably going to be a lot more simpler than we anticipate Mm -hmm. and or, or guessing. And I think that Darcy's ultra meta like comment (laughs) on that, where it's like, he's been recast. It's like, exactly. Right. Um, it it very much could just be that, and and this stands as a Easter egg, and kind of a callback to fans of like, hey, you know what, we we understand that this is a different world, and and maybe they will say that you know you know I'm not I am not your brother, but I am you know this this is a different thing or whatever. With Wanda's powers, you could easily explain that, especially what's going on in this world that mm. you know uh, that she's created and. You could also go really crazy with it because we know they're going to get crazy with the stuff because yeah. of Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. I mean, but at the same time, I think this is a way of just kind of acknowledging everything, too. I mean, I, I don't know if Aaron Taylor Johnson doesn't want to come back as Pietro or they don't want or they have different story ideas with him. I don't know the, the exact reasoning. So but. I tend to go with the idea that it's probably what Darcy just said. She recast him. It would almost, because you could almost say this, Sean, she couldn't face her brother again and lose him. So she recast him. But did Wanda do this? Like Darcy. Exactly. Yeah. Darcy assumes that Wanda recast Pietro, but she's not watching because Wanda controls what people see. She didn't see the fight. And if she didn't see the fight between Wanda and Vision, she didn't see that Wanda didn't know who this was and genuinely didn't know who this was. At least Wanda says she genuinely didn't know who this was. Mm -hmm. And let's think about the timing. Vision and Wanda have this huge fight, right? And it looks like at the end of it, maybe Vision's getting through. Wanda, you're doing the wrong thing. And Wanda is even trying to kind of rationalize things and, and maybe forgive herself in the process of starting to undo all of this. Like, I don't even remember how all of this started. I'm not controlling everything. And maybe she's ready to relinquish whatever control she has and undo her part. And maybe somebody thinks that she's about to give up on whatever this is. And then they give her another reason to stay. Mm -hmm. Who would do that? I mean, two suspects at this point. Mephisto, who, look, I got to just say, like, the Mephisto high, high evolutionary stuff, the deeper we get into the series without those characters actually being introduced, the less likely it is they're going to pop up. It's still too early to rule them out completely, but I'm starting to lean more in just the Wanda and Agnes direction. I got to put my focus there. If the other characters characters emerge, great. We all understand the ways in which that might happen, but Agnes, if it's something I hadn't thought about until just now, is just... When Agnes says, uh, or hears Wanda talk about how you can't reverse death, well, that let me, if we're not going to be reversing death, let me give you a version of your brother who didn't die. You know, and that could be Agnes, who really is Mephisto herself, or is as powerful as Mephisto would be in the comic books, who has multiverse connections and abilities and whatever, or there's a different Mephisto. I don't know. Either way, somebody who has multiverse abilities maybe does open up the door to another universe where Pietro is still alive. And so if you can't reverse the death of your brother who actually died, let me just give you another version of your brother. Um, And this will be something that will make you want to stay in this reality as opposed to leave it and undo all of this because I've given you 
your husband, the love of your life. I've given you your kids. And that's not enough to get you to hold on to this, or it looks like it might not be. So let me give you another thing, and I'm going to give you back your brother, or at least some version of him that I'm actually capable of giving you if Wanda really didn't do this. And, and I actually believe her, even though statistically seems unlikely, I actually believe her that she didn't know who was at the door and she didn't ask for anybody to be there. I tend to agree with you a little bit more as far as Mephisto and High Evolutionary. There's still something, a part of this that I'm like, uh, it's either Agnes or is, is again, she's involved heavily more than what I assume. But yeah, we know there's something driving Wanda. We just don't know exactly what it is. I tend to believe that the further it goes, the less likely those characters are involved, mm-hmm. unless it's unless they start hinting more and more, or a little bit more that there's 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 someone above it all, and they aren't revealed till the very very end. We got to see all- that I think within the next couple of weeks. I don't think I you, agree. I don't think you can save it to like episode eight or nine. I feel like by six or seven, like you got to tell us. At that point, you've established what we're playing with, and like now we need to carry out the story based on the yeah. players that you've told me are involved. The deeper we get into the story, the more I am invested in Wanda, Vision, yeah. Agnes. I don't care about Mephisto. I don't care about... And you have to approach this from the perspective not of the comic book fan, where it's like, yeah, I'm already sort of invested in High Evolutionary or Mephisto, because I know who they are from a comic book. But if you approach this from the perspective, as Marvel knows that most people are going to approach this who watch the show, is they're going to approach it not knowing who these characters are, meaning their investment will have to come from the show, not any previous comic book knowledge. And so if you wait too long to introduce them, so for all of those people who are not going to give you any points simply for including something that's in a comic book or a character that's in a comic book, you're going to have a really hard time earning their investment so late in the game when they're already so invested in so many yeah. other characters who've been involved the entire time. I, I'm not ruling them out completely yet. I'm feeling, if anything, that Mephisto is more likely than High Evolutionary between the two. But even then, I'm, I'm not really feeling great about those chances unless Agnes is Mephisto or High Evolutionary. Again, I'm starting to feel more Mephisto than High Evolutionary. But it doesn't really matter to me whether or not they pop up. If they pop up, then it's got to be done well. Um, But if not, there's more than enough interesting things happening with the characters who are involved as we've seen them with what we know about them and what we may learn about them over time. So uh, I know uh, initially I might have been underselling this Evan Peters moment of acting like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal that does have some potentially massive implications, but they may also not ultimately be as big as we might initially assume. It's very, very intriguing, but I would say that this episode does not rely on that reveal. That's just like the cherry on top of the Sunday, although this wasn't exactly a sweet episode. Um, yeah. uh, but that was just the, the last little piece of excitement on top of what was already a stellar episode um, living up to its title on a very special episode of WandaVision. So mm-hmm. uh, that's all I've got for episode five. Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's it. I'm, I, we I'm don't need to hit three hours just for the sake of getting there. I, I think we can <laughs> go ahead and wrap up here. Yeah, yeah, um, seriously. Yikes. But uh, thank you all so much for listening to this nearly three hour recap. Of a, uh, wow. Thank you so much for listening to this recap of a, well, it was a longer episode by like five minutes this week. So we needed <laughs> a hour longer podcast. But anyway, Uh, Thanks so much for listening and make sure you're checking out additional exclusive content that we have available through our Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, 
S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Speaking of which, I want to say thank you to Kuiper H, Frank H, Matt C, Josh H, and Kevin N as some of the latest patrons who have access to some of that exclusive content, as well as our exclusive Discord community, where we have Watch-A-Vision watch parties every Saturday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, and we'll just keep that rolling for Falcon and Winter Soldier and other upcoming Marvel Studios series on Disney+. And then make sure you're following us once again, all those places you can, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at MCU Fan Show. Paul, where can they find you? You find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next week.